everybody, and welcome to a new episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tannen Gray, surprisingly hosting this episode this week, and I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't lived through a hurricane, so that's pretty good. <laughs> this is not my first, and... Uh, <laughs> probably I not your last. It's, it's probably not, but I, ho- I hope it is. But, uh, yeah, we got power back a couple days ago. Life is mostly back to normal. I mean, like... Uh, a, a decent part of the area around me, like so, some decent parts still don't have power. So, and I know this is like complaining about small stuff, obviously, but like, you know, it's harder to get to certain places. Um, the grocery stores and stuff around me are not super stocked. So like I'm living off like bare necessities right now, which is obviously fine. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm drinking, you know, bottled water because I can't trust the filter in my fridge right now because we didn't have power for like four or five days. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Just, you know, all the little things. Like, it's really hard to get gas right now, so I'm, like, kind of not going anywhere. Yeah, um, I saw a thing the other day of, of somebody literally getting shot over gas in a, in Louisiana. Yeah, like, not surprised. Are, yeah, are, are, yeah, losing their minds a little bit. Well, I'm not saying that part of it makes sense. The losing their minds part is making sense because a lot of people right now... Um, the only way they can get power is through generators. And the only way you can make your generator work is if you have gas... And at some places, it's, like, really hard to get gas because the lines are absurd. You know, like, you're, they're out onto the street and, like, further back. Like, uh, my my father-in-law the other day said he went and got gas. And they were like, we're opening at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Be here for 7 a.m. He got there at 6.45. It took an hour and a half for him to fill up his tank. Wow. And stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I went to Houston for a few days because I needed to have like internet access. I wanted to take a you know hot shower. I, just, I needed to be able to do things right. You, you need yeah. You needed to be a part of civilization. Yeah, and so on the way back, I bought a couple of the uh, the gas canisters and just filled them up and brought them in and like dropped them off at like you know uh, some people's places and stuff. And I was like, here, here's a couple gallons. You know, do do whatever. You know, like or whatever. So. Uh, that's something kind of crazy, but overall health is fine. Like I'm, I'm fine. Wife's fine. Benny's fine. That's the important part, right? Benny's life has not been disrupted. In fact, I actually think her life has been better during the hurricane <laughs> stuff because she spent a lot of time um, when we didn't have power. Uh, Natalie's parents have a generator, so we brought the dog over yeah. there. She stayed over there. I stayed over Benny here. Benny got to see her favorite person. Yeah, I stayed over here to make sure. Here's a funny part. So uh, yesterday, uh, Natalie's out of town right now, and yesterday I was super busy all day. So anytime it happens, I text uh, my mother and father-in-law and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be busy all day. Uh, can I bring Benny over and like, you know, you know, just like, you know, can she just hang out with you guys instead of just being at the house for like 12 hours by herself or whatever, you know? And um, so they're like, yeah, that's, you know, that's fine. Bring her over, bring some food for her. So, you know, I, I bring her over to bring some food. And so I'm, this was yesterday. So I messaged them today because it was like just too late to go get her last night. You know, I didn't want to bother them. So I messaged yeah. them. I messaged them earlier today, and I'm like, "Hey, uh, I'll come by. Are y'all home? I'll come by and grab Benny and get her out of her hair." And they just say, "No." Like they just text back, "No." And I'm like, "No, you're not home." And they're like, "No, don't come get Benny. Get her tomorrow." And, and like they took a picture of them like in their room, uh, in bed watching TV with Benny like <laughs> just chilling with them, and Benny's just got like this big, huge grin on her face. And I was like, "All right." <laughs> yeah, they're just looking out for Benny's best interests. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, the last couple of days have been um, mostly normal. Um, I've you know been doing a lot of card game stuff, but not Magic. You know, we kind of talked about this. Uh, what was it about a week and a half ago now? I think it was our last episode. Yeah. Because right now it's what? Sunday afternoon. Well, Sunday evening now. It's 4.30 for me. So 5.30 for you on September 5th. Um, I've just been doing a lot of stuff for flesh and blood. Yeah, I know this is this is a magic podcast. But we're talking about, you know, what's going on in our lives. And 
you know, on Thursday, I fly up to Las Vegas. I'm going to be doing the uh, Channel Fireball is running uh, the, what is the equivalent of a GP, I think. You know, it's like, I, I, I think we, we talked about this. They just took the, the organized play that Magic got rid of, and they were like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just do that. <laughs> like, we'll just do exactly yeah. that. So they did a few of those. So I'm going to be doing coverage for that. And I go back and forth on being really nervous and worried that I'm going to do a bad job and, to, and being like, no, this is going to be great. I'm going to be great. It'll be way easier than I think it is. And I think I'm like over worrying about some parts and possibly under worrying about other parts. Because the part that like I, I'm generally worried about that makes sense is just familiarity with the game, like the card names. You know what I mean? Like I, I know the game well enough to call play by play and then shoot it over to the person next to me who's an expert. But yeah. I am nowhere near where I could, I could call a game by myself, you know, if I had to. And so like that worries me a little bit, but I've still got about four more days. I've been spending anywhere from about two to eight hours a day, just looking at deck lists and like just looking through the cards. And then if I have questions, I have people that I've been talking to. And I'm like, Hey, like, you know, what's up with this? You know, like can, can explain this to me. And they're like, Oh, that's, that's there because like, this is popular, et cetera, et cetera, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be very interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to try to be as safe as possible on the trip. And everyone uh, around me, all the people we're working with, seem like they're being as safe as possible, too. So I'm excited. Uh, I got some new masks in for the uh, for the event that I'm really excited about. I, I tried out the ones. Uh, Matt by Monte was tweeting about these. And I, I decided to give them a try. They're like these Under Armour new masks. And they're called, like, I think they're called, like, Featherweight or Featherlight or something like that. And... A, they're really light on your face. It's like a, it's like a, you know, a different kind of material. They're a little more expensive than your average mask. But what I like about it is, is um, there's no like excess weight to it whatsoever. It forms to your face really well. Like they have a bunch of different sizes, and they tell you, like they show you how to measure your face, so you make sure you get the right one. And it's, it's been the best for space between my actual mouth and the mask, right? Okay. And I have a problem. I have a problem with that sometimes because, like, if you're trying to talk or whatever. It's either hard to understand you or, like, you inhale the mask sometimes. You know, like, the little problems of wearing a mask all the time, right? Yeah. The small price we pay to be to be safe or whatever. But uh, I've only had it on for, like, a few hours because I got it today. And I went out and, like, did some grocery shopping or whatever. But it was extremely comfortable and just great. Mm-hmm. We're not sponsored by Under Armour or anything like that. So, but if they so what size that, face do you have? That's my question. Uh, I'm, like, medium slash large. But um, it has to do with, like... I don't think it always has to do with like necessarily how big your face is. It's the dimensions of, of one part to another part, like of like your ear to your nose or something like that. So like the amount of, you know what I mean? Cause like, I don't know if my head's as big as yours is comparatively for our size. Cause you've got a noggin, but like, that is yeah, true. I, I, I always have first. I, I, vi- I distinctly remember in fourth grade, my teacher literally measuring the circumference of all of our heads. Why she did this. I do not know, but mine was quite large. Uh, I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> so yeah, like, I, I, I don't know why. Don't don't ask me why. I can't remember that part. That apparently that was the the rationale you know, has, has left me. But yeah, I, I can see that. So I mean, that, that's a sign that they're really you know m- you know crafting them to a specification, like a dress shirt. You know, where you have the the chest measurement, the sleeve measurement, and the neck measurement, uh, and you can kind of mix and match depending upon your your body type. So. Pretty Speaking cool. of that, I, I've actually got to worry about that this week because, you know, I'm about to be on camera for, you know, yeah. 30 hours or whatever, you know, 20-something hours. Is, 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 your, is your formal clothing clean? 
I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, like, that's not going to be the problem. Uh, I actually told Natalie when she gets back in town, I was like, uh, we may have to do some slight wardrobe stuff because most of the like we're going to do business casual like pretty much what you see but like you don't have to like what you see at most events but you don't have to wear a tie you know you don't have to go that formal kind of thing like i've talked to them too and they're like yeah i'm gonna wear like a blazer and a shirt and they even told me they're like you don't have to wear like a dress shirt if you don't want to which i probably will just because it goes better with a blazer most of the time it just fits better it feels better etc yeah i like wearing a blazer yeah and like I, i like the no tie look kind of thing you know it's like it's like, hey, I'm formal, but like, I'm I'm down to party if we need to. You know, I'm, down to get, I'm down to get in into this if we need to, kind of thing. Yeah. But it's it's become more common in the last yeah. decade or so. The 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 biggest problem is is like most of the blazers I have are really formal. You know what I'm talking about? Like a little like more like black tie kind of stuff. I don't have as much casual. Uh, like they might have some sort of like embellishments, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, somewhere and almost so, tux like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The cut yeah. the cut of it. So. I'm just going to try to go for something a little more like casual. And what you're talking about, like I'm the kind of guy I have to go to the places where like, I, it's hard for me to always shop off the rack. Cause I'm like pretty skinny. And I I need slim fit quite a bit and I need stuff to like fit me. Otherwise, but, but you're still pretty tall. And yeah. so you need length, but not width, yeah. which, you know, usually they come together. Yeah. So it, I will say this over the last, you know, five years, there's been maybe, I, I don't know if that's an exact number, but there's been a big improvement on, men's clothing to fit better because like a lot of the times when i get stuff that's tall enough for me it's it's too big like the clothes are wearing me i'm not wearing the clothes if you get what i'm saying by that like you know the pants are too big it it gets billowy yeah you know and you look like you're wearing your dad's suit when you're 14 exactly that's the exact look like i'm thinking of it in my mind and so a lot of the times you know like i want my shirt to fit you know what i mean like i don't need it to be like super tight i just want it to fit you know like and the thing is when you're sitting behind a desk and you've got a blazer on you can kind of get away with some stuff you know what i mean like it doesn't need to be fitting perfect it doesn't need to be like you know pressed perfectly the whole way through you know kind of thing which is nice because i'm going to be traveling and it's not always to keep your it's not always easy to keep your clothes from being wrinkled and stuff and it's a hotel the hotel will press them if you want them to yeah i will say this i'm in a good situation i'm going to be staying with jonathan job so like okay. we're gonna be you know we've got a we've got the penthouse or something somewhere or a suite somewhere and he's like yeah if you need anything taken care of we just like send it down and like yeah they'll do it for me but at the same time I don't have to rely on that kind of thing you know what I yeah. mean so um but yeah we're like all planning on um only doing what we have to do on this trip like we're gonna like stick to the room quite a bit you know eat not, maybe not a bad eat. room to stick it to stick <laughs> to yeah it's one of the ones where like you walk in. Like you go through the door and that's not the, that's not your room, quote unquote. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the living room. You know what I mean? Like it's got a table, like some sofas and like, you know, TVs and stuff. And then there's like rooms that branch off of it. And each one of those is a bedroom, you know, kind of thing. So I was like, yeah, this is going to be nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. And, uh, you know, we get to kind of just dive into it and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to getting the good food. Uh, yeah. In Vegas. And get yourself some Lotus, some mint. Yeah. Well, we talked about that, and we're we're wondering if we can get it delivered because we're going to try to not be in public as much as possible. You know what I mean? Like we'll we'll do what we have to do, et cetera. You know, um, there's a couple of good restaurants, especially in that the... town. I, I can imagine that town being particularly um, cavalier. Very, yeah, it's very busy as well. <laughs> yeah, like very busy. And so, um, I uh, we're going to be eating a lot, like at the place that we're staying at. And there's a lot. Thankfully, there's a ton of options. We can just have it like sent up to our room and stuff like that. And we'll probably have most of it comped too, which is nice. So like, I, I'm just looking forward to having a good weekend. So. And hopefully, some humble brags from Tana. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then, uh, <laughs> obviously, like I, I'm just hoping to do. Um, I'm hoping to do the best job that I can do. Like I, I don't need to. Sh- you don't. 
I, I think in this situation, a lot of people aspire to like perfection or like top notch. And I'm not saying that I don't want to do that. What I'm aspiring to is to do the best that I can possibly do. If I felt like I've, if I feel like I've put in enough time and effort in preparation, do you get what I'm trying to say there? Yeah. You know, you, you, you've set reasonable expectations given the circumstances and you want to meet or exceed those expectations. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, just got a few other things to do this week. Got to do the whole, like, you know, get the fresh haircut, get, 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 get the shave lined up real nice, you know, make sure I'm real pretty for the cameras kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, right now, nobody, I'm the only one that can see you. So you only have yeah. to look pretty for me. Yeah. That's, that's not nearly as important. And like when you're out wearing a mask half the time, like it doesn't matter. But when you're on camera, you know, we're taking the masks off. So it's it. I, I always joked about this. It'd be really hilarious that like you know you wear a mask and like it looks kind of okay, and then someone could like like you so you could wear a mask where like you could actually hide most of your your beard. You know, if you wear like some of the bigger bulky ones, they'd take it off and you're like, whoa, where was all that? <laughs> I didn't know that was. <laughs> yeah, uh, even even just a regular one. If I if I trim it close. Uh, mm-hmm. it hides. Mo- I guess it, it peeks out towards the the side. The sides, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's mostly hidden. You're right. Yeah. Um, let's go ahead and start moving into what we we're going to talk about today, and something that I'm actually pretty excited about. Um, I know you always temper your expectations and stuff, and you're not always excited as I am. But yeah, I'm a um, jaded, grumpy old man. We got it. Yeah, but we're we're moving into. Um, we're getting a decent bit of the new Innistrad. Yeah, about here. a third of the way through. Right. And we've got some really cool preview cards. So today we're going to be talking about uh, quite a bit of those preview cards and what we're looking forward to, um, et cetera, et cetera. You, you know how, I mean, if, if you've listened at home to any of these episodes before, this is not our top eight episode, but uh, you're going to hear us talk about some cards that we're probably going to talk about on, on that show. But we're just going to talk overall what we think about these things and, you know, what we feel like the set is so far. And I got to say this, I, I'm liking it a lot so far. I don't know how much of you, you've read, Ross, but this is looking pretty good to me. I'm, um, I don't know, I, I'm, I would give it a sort of medium grade so far. I see some cards I like. I see some cards that, um, you know, seem okay. I'm, uh, one of the things with Innistrad is it has heavy tribal themes. And with tribal themes, I always want to wait till I have everything. Because it really does take everything, especially in this era of single sets. Where you d- usually don't get a lot of, of you know, cross-set support for your tribal decks. I know that there is, uh, you know, pack leader from um, AFR that's going to really help out werewolf decks. So there's some lead-ins that usually get, you know, a, a card or two here or there, but not really huge uh, cross-set support. So uh, I'm a lot of my, you know, expectation tempering comes from that so far. But there's definitely some some choice cards that I'm I'm seeing on the list, and we're only a third of the way through. So and yeah, I think you make a really good point there about, you know how far stuff gets pushed right like especially you know any synergies within certain you know keywords or creature type etc etc but do you think there's going to be at least a decent bit of crossover with the second industrial set even though that one's going to be more vampire focused if i remember right um yeah i mean some right i would certainly expect some crossover um yeah uh, but yeah you know we'll see exactly how much you know the mechanics are going to be different i would assume um there might be a return of one or two but probably not all would be my thought, but you know, at this point, I'm I try not to speculate too much. Okay. Well, one thing that we do know for sure is the flip cards are coming back to Innistrad, kind of in the way that they were in the original Innistrad, but it's actually a little bit different this time. We actually have day and night, and there's like a there's like a token that can actually represent this because the cards are going to actually function a tiny bit differently than they did last time, while also being very similar. It's kind of, it's kind of strange. I'm just gonna go ahead and read this. So. 
Um, so the, the day slide says, if it becomes day or night, or if a daybound permanent enters the battlefield, track day night for the rest of the game. So, like, it's kind of almost like, um, what was it when you had 10 permanents? Yeah, um, uh, Renown, the city's Renown. blessing. The city's blessing. It's kind of like that. Like, when this happens, th- this is a thing for the rest of the game. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, uh, sorry, as an aside, I managed to remember that because on versus we would have a special token for that. That was Star City's blessing. Yeah. So the, the token came into my head. I was yeah, like, what, yeah, what was, it, was it? it? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's very similar to the city's blessing. Um, yep. it, so, but, uh, like, it, it operates the same if... if Somebody casts no spells, it goes from day to night. If they cast two spells, it goes from night back to day. Yeah, that's the similar thing, but there's one big thing that's different. Have you heard about what happens when it's night? No. Permanents enter the battlefield night. Oh, yeah, yeah, on the night side. Yeah, that, yeah. that is true. So you, you can sort of have them enter pre-transformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this also Which makes op- sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this also opens the door for other cards to interact with. You know, there I could imagine an enchantment that like does something if it's day and something else if it's night, mm-hmm. right? So um, I, I, I 100% think there's going to be something with that. Like yeah. in the vampire set, there might be a card that's like vampires get minus one, minus one during the day or something, or they get you know whatever. Like there's yeah, be something. exactly. Like that there's there's the ability to to play with that in a way that would have been very difficult to do under the previous templating. You know, we had Moon Mist that was just a card from Innistrad that said transform all your werewolves, right? Uh, to try to you know give you an, an effect that can do something like that. Um, now, actually, uh, like if you have a card that makes it night, which I don't think we've seen yet, um, and I, I have to imagine there's going to be one, but maybe not. Maybe that would be too powerful to just have a spell that you know relatively cheap spell that says if it's you know day go to night, if it's night go to day. Um, could do flip, some cool stuff. Flip, yeah, flip the flip the day or night. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and talk about one of the most powerful, most hyped, and just one of the coolest cards so far that actually has, uh, you know, day and and night bound. So this is this is pretty cool. This is the new Planeswalker that's coming out in the set, and this is a new Arlen. So it's Arlen, the Pax Hope. It's two red and a green for uh, a Planeswalker, obviously that has four loyalty, and this is the day bound side. So this is the side where uh, she is a human being, even though she's not a human on the card. You know what I mean? Just like her day bound before she becomes a werewolf kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's got two abilities. Uh, the plus one says, until your next turn, you may cast creature spells as though they had flash, and each of those creatures enter the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on them. And then the minus three is create two green wolf creature tokens. Okay, so pretty good. I'm going to read the other side because there's, there's a decent bit to this card, right? So on the nightbound side, same thing. It's got, it, it's got four loyalty or whatever, but it has a plus two and a zero. The plus two is add red green, so just add some mana. And then the zero is until in turn... Alrin's the moon's the moon's fury, which is the name of this card, becomes a five-five werewolf creature with trample, indestructible, and haste. Ross, this card is very good, very powerful, and if you're a control mage, this is like a nightmare for you. Yeah, I agree. The card is going to be pretty good against control decks. I'm not sure how good it's going to be against aggro decks, so I think there's um, some limit to its ceiling there, uh, where you know if you're on the back foot. It's not going to be as good. That said, if two two twos is able to trade effectively against the aggressive decks in the format, then you can still do some work with this card against aggro. Um, you know, maybe force some good trades for you as they try to kill it. Um, and if you cast it with from on the night side, you can immediately recoup some mana and have this giant, 
you know, loyalty planeswalker that can start doing some stuff. Granted, it can't play much defense, but it might give you enough of a mana boost to really, you know, get to your powerful end game or your more powerful spells or just double spell, triple spell uh, to, you know, stop your opponent's aggression. And then it will then it will immediately turn the corner once you're done killing all your opponent's stuff as this 5-5 indestructible trampling creature. So that, that I think there's something to be excited about. I don't think this card is, you know, a huge home run, but it looks solid to me. Um, you know, I, I mainly because of that minus three on the front side. I think the plus one on the front side is pretty weak. Uh, you know, you're usually not going to be able to cast multiple creatures in a turn unless you yourself are a really aggressive deck. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm not too thrilled about that. I think that's the worst of the four abilities. Uh, but four mana, get a couple two twos, still have a planeswalker around to do a little bit. You know, if they, if it transforms or if you're able to cast it while it's a knight and it's just a four mana five five you know trample indestructible haste creature that's pretty cool um so yeah that there's a there's a lot to like here uh, um though this is definitely a card that i'll i'll want to play with a little bit because again there is so much going on and it, one of the things about this set that's going to be important is how easy is it for you to control the time of day day or night that's the yeah. big thing for me, right? Is like you talk about how like, yeah, it's really a nightmare for a control player to play against like the nightbound version of this card because at any point in time you're just you're just cracking in for five of this hasting creature that's like very hard for them to deal with, right? And the thing is, is like how often is it gonna be night early in the game on turn four? We don't know yet. Like maybe there's gonna be, you know, some other cards, you know, some other aggressive werewolves or other aggressive creatures that are good enough to be played. But until you get the first Arlen in play, you can't really guarantee the second one. I mean, that you're going to be able to play one as the Nightbound side. And like you said, you have to see if the front side's good enough. But I think it might be, in, at least especially in those matchups where, like, the games are going a little bit slower. Because, you know, creating the two wolves, like you said, if they're relevant bodies, that's good. Um, I think the plus one is one of those ones that reads a little better than it's going to be a lot of the times, like you said. Yeah, it but, has a lot of text, but it doesn't amount to a ton. Yeah, because, like, you're almost, like... The, the, so, like, think about this against a control deck. Like, you're going to play it, and, like, you're going to minus it, right? But if you plus to try to play a creature as Flash, like, you you get to you get to cast a creature during their turn, right? So that means you've untapped with your Planeswalker. Like, you're probably going to win anyway if you're, like, untapping with a Planeswalker against a control deck because, like, now you're pressuring them on multiple fronts. But the Nightbound part just plays really well into what they're doing, right? Like, most of the time, they're just going to say go, right? And so, like, they're, one of the turns is going to happen, if especially if you don't have to do this, right? Like, they're probably going to say go and flip your Planeswalker for you, and then you can attack for five. If they don't, then this plus one actually plays pretty well. The fact that you can plus one, say go, uh, no one play any spells, flip my Planeswalker off, but I, you still have the ability, right? And you can still play something uh, during their turn as, as, a, as a Flash creature, too. So, uh, yeah, Definitely a card that's going to give some Sahin Sarani some really big headaches in the, yeah. in the future. I think so. We'll have to we'll have to see. Like you said, I think the jury's out on this one, but this one definitely is an early contender to be in the top eight as as as, as cards. And the the, the one other note I want to talk I want to you know talk about with the daybound nightbound shift and how this mechanic works is the fact that uh, you know turning to night means that your a later werewolves come in on generally the more powerful side, right? Usually the werewolf side is better and bigger if it's a creature. Means that cheap cards with the daybound ability are going to be all the more valuable. Because if you're playing against an opponent that happens to stumble, you know, if you remember Reckless Waif, 
in Innistrad. This was not a, really a constructed card. It was a decent limited card. I liked playing the, the Rakdos Aggro decks. I thought they were pretty underrated in that format. Uh, and you could play, you know, turn one Reckless Wave. Your opponent just didn't have a one drop because not a lot of limited decks do. And, uh, you know, and you have a one mana three, two. Now, if you did something like that and suddenly all your other cards are that much better immediately, especially with Arlen, things are looking really cool. So the card that I'm really looking at from these werewolf cards, and they've previewed several that look pretty strong, is Kessig Naturalist that goes really well with Arlen. It's a red-green for a 2-2 with Daybound, and says whenever Kessig Naturalist attacks, add red or green. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. You know, you can play Kessig Naturalist. If your opponent uh, you know, plays a spell, the next turn you can play your Arlen on turn three, which is great. Um, if they do, if they don't have a spell on turn two, your naturalist goes unopposed, and then you go to knight, and now this transforms into Lord of the Olvenwald, which is similar. It's a three three. It has that generator red or green when it attacks, uh, but it also becomes a lord for your other wolves and werewolves. So you get even that further benefit. Now you're you know having attacking for three. You're still casting your Arlen. You're getting the Arlen on the side you really want it on, especially if your opponent's stumbling. And then you can get two mana back. So this is a turn where you normally would have three mana, and you've played a Planeswalker and recouped two of the mana that you had. So you just cast a one-mana Planeswalker, really. You have a two-mana 3-3, a one-mana Planeswalker, and two mana to play with if your opponent doesn't have something to do on turn two, which obviously most constructed decks do in in a lot of games. But it's really, really punishing, this mechanic, uh, for stumbling. So I think that's going to be really stressed. If the if the werewolves are good, then you're going to see curves lower in all of standard in order to make sure that you're just consistently not giving your opponent that early night uh, mm-hmm. advantage. Yeah, and this is um you know something that kind of harps back to one of the cards we talked about a few weeks ago, one of the really really early early previews that we got of uh, consider, which is the opt that surveils cards like that are going to go up quite a bit in value. And the fact that on turns where, you know, your opponent, you know, tries to just say go and be like, all right, I'm going fl- to I'm going to flip my things. And you're like, hold on. No, I've got like a cheap spell. I can just fire off, you know, at this point. And so then like that's going to be important if you need to make sure that you keep stuff on certain sides of their of day bound or night bound and stuff. So and not only helping you stop them getting from night, it's also a good card to help you get back to day. Back to day if if yeah. they do get to night, then you've got this one mana spell that will allow you to double spell and get them, you know, transform them back. Absolutely. Let's go on from one mythic to another one. This is another card that got previewed the same day as Alrin. This is Sareth the Viper's Fang. It's two green green for a 3-4 human warlock. It's a legendary creature for you commander players, because I think you might like this one a little bit. It says, other tapped creatures you control have death touch. Other untapped creatures you control have hexproof. And it has an ability of one and tap it. Untapped target creature or land you control. Not sure I'm seeing this one. By the way, this is not a mythic. I thought it was for some reason. It's it's a rare. I apologize. But uh, not sure I'm seeing this one too much in, you know, our normal kind of constructed things. But this card's going to do some stuff in limited and maybe might do something in uh, in commander or whatever. But this is one of those ones that's cool. It does some stuff. I'm, I'm not so sure. But uh, four toughness is a decent bit when it looks like what we're going to have is removal on the set. It's either going to be unconditional or some kind of damage where four is going to be probably too big for it. So. Yeah, uh, I do like the idea, if I'm a green aggressive deck, of just having all Death Touch attackers. That's really nice. It just makes blocking really, really difficult. Um, But that's really the only benefit I see. And a 4-mana 3-4, you know, it sounds good, but really uh, the way Magic is now, it's not that great. The other abilities are mediocre. Like, you know, 
it's nice to say your other untapped creatures have hexproof and it gets to protect them, but this is the card they're going to want to kill anyway, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I don't really see that as being particularly valuable because they can always just kill the Seraph. Uh, obviously, it being legendary is important. Otherwise, you could get two down and suddenly you got something going. You've got that, like, double drunk skull captain kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. So you, do, you don't have that potential. You don't have that upside. Uh, so I'm not really big on it. I also think that one of the best cards in post-rotation standard is going to be a Zika's Chariot. Um, so, and so you're all green decks are, you're just competing, uh, in that spot. Yeah. yeah. In the four slot with, with Chariot. I think Chariot's a really, really good card. Uh, and part of what held that card in check was the power of ultimatums. Um, and the fact that you really need to like get games over with. Uh, and I think you're going to see a little bit of a grindier, um, format a grindier standard environment you know losing not only the over the top cards in the ultimatums but also losing like ember cleave which is a game ender and things like that so uh the fact that it's competing with zika's chariot and really just all together isn't that powerful that I, I i agree this is this is a commander kind of card you know untap another creature you can do some stuff with that untapping lands if you're like untapping guy's cradle in commander you can do some bust things and Obviously, like the the hexproof can be relevant there when you have a, lot, a huge battlefield of shit, and um, you know you can even in like a Jun deck you can even combo it with fucking like Mayhem Devil. You know, like you play this attack with Mayhem Devil and suddenly start sacrificing stuff and just mow down your opponent's creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, those kinds of synergies you can build in Commander, but it's not going to show up in in Standard. Exactly. Um, the mythic that I was talking about, this is this is the one we're going to talk about next. This is Enduring Angel. Sorry about that for everybody at home. It's fact-checking everything that we say. I apologize. Um, this one is obviously an angel. It's a 3-3 three, three, uh, for two white, white, white. So it's a 3-3 three, three for a 5-drop. It has flying and double strike. It says, you have hexproof. Now it says, if your life total would be reduced to zero or less, instead, transform Enduring Angel and your life total becomes three. Then if Enduring Angel didn't transform this way, you lose the game. All right, so it transforms into Angelic Enforcer, which is a flying creature that says you have Hexproof. Um, it's a star star, which means uh, it's it says its power and toughness are equal to your life total. And it says whenever it attacks, double your life total. Now, this is a card. It's not easy to transform, right? Like, you have to be dying, right? Like, you have to go to zero. Um, this is a card that when I see it, I'm like, someone else can figure this one out for me. You tell me if it's good. I'll put it in my decks and I'll play it in the way that it's supposed to. I can see someone doing some really cool stuff with this in some weird spots, but it seems like something where you have to go through a lot of hoops to make it good. Yeah, and just being a five mana creature that's going to die to probably two mana removal spells so often, um, you know, that that's really a, a problem. Because obviously giving yourself hexproof can be nice in certain matchups. Uh, you know, stopping discard spells, stopping burn spells. But if your opponent has a bunch of burn spells, they probably have red removal that can target this. If your opponent has a bunch of discard, they probably have a bunch of black removal that can target this. So the, I just don't really see Enduring Angel living in most of the games in which it's cast. You know, maybe it's a techie sideboard card in very removal light matchups. Because then its ability to, you know, win races because you have this second life and then eventually, like, you know, win races by giving you a bunch of extra life um, is really valuable. But that's a very niche application and it's a niche application that can only be, you know, accessed by a, a, a 
narrow margin of decks because of its prohibitive mana cost. So I can see this card showing up in rare instances. I can see the, the set of circumstances that make it a, a good card, and then it's going to look really good. But I don't think that it is going to be a consistent player in Constructed. Agreed. Um, there's definitely a another card that came out about the same day that I wanted to talk a little bit about. This one's like a cool card for... Uh, certain types of players, right? And this is another one I think is going to be like probably pretty big in Commander, but I can also see this card being good in like Pioneer, possibly in like Lotus Breach or something along those lines. Any of those decks that do stuff. This is a Galvanic Iteration. It's blue and a red, which the fact that it's two colors I think is really important because it makes it to where you can't, you know, do as crazy stuff with stuff like uh, Lotus Fields or that, but it's blue and a red for an instant. And it says, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell you may choose new targets for the copy, and then it has flashback of one uh, one blue-red. It's a rare in this set, too. Um, this is the kind of card that screams break me when I read it, especially it having flashback. I can see someone casting this and using its flashback at the same turn along with about seven other spells, and I'm just dead. The stack, you know, is just covered. there's just a bunch of cards on the board. There's dice everywhere counting all their spells and how much red and blue mana they have floating. And then they cast some absurd sorcery or, you know, instant that, like, it's only good in exactly this deck, and I die. Yeah, I mean, maybe that comes together. I'd have to see all the other pieces, and I'm doubtful that all of those pieces would exist, especially the fast mana that's necessary for that kind of deck to work. Um, I, I'm, We've seen a lot of different fork cards over the last, like, five years, right? Yeah. Like, Wizards keeps trying this kind of stuff. Well, and players it, like it a lot, so. Yeah, and it, it just doesn't really, like, work. Like, that. none of them none of them have really been good. So, the, the non-flashback parts of this card, if it didn't have flashback, I would immediately dismiss it completely unplayable. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. a little bit interesting once it gets flashback. Um you can mill it, you can discard it to yeah. some stuff, like, you get some extra value out of it, yeah. Exactly, because this is the kind of effect that I think if you get it sort of for free, um, I'm, I'm excited about it, but if I have to pay a full card, I'm not excited, it, it exists in, the, in that realm, and so it, with Flashback, there's a lot of different ways where you can sort of get it for free, because you're using the card to some other... Uh, advantage, you know, you're you're discarding it to faithful mending. You are milling it with consider. You are, you know, doing either of those things with at some other card. Um, you know, m milling and discarding mainly. Um, so th that that is somewhat intriguing, but I still, I this is a like I've got to see it to believe it thing for me. Same, because I've right? just seen so many of them before that haven't worked. Yeah. Like the, the last thing I want to add is like the, the the tiniest bit like you you kind of hit it on the head there it's, it gets the extra value from the fact that like it has the extra usage from you know because it has flashback is I think that it'll add the smallest amount of extra percentage points in some combo deck if you end up playing this because it's that w even one more step of of filtering out of of sorry just like petering out uh, you have that one less chance of it the fact that you have this the spells you've cast and then you have like another copy of it sitting in your graveyard kind of thing for technically free so you might in insert some redundancy in some combo deck somewhere that helps like you know for a few percentage points once every like 20 matches it comes up or something you know kind of thing um scrolling up through more of the spoiler i see that we're going to get a set of dual lands in uh, you know the cycle of duels that we usually get in one of these sets, and these are a little bit different and very interesting than the ones we've seen in the past. 
All of them, um, okay, so I'm just going to read the first one. I'm going to use the name of it or whatever. It says Overgrown Farmlands, the name of the green-white one. It says it enters the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more other lands. So it's like the reverse of the fast lands, right? Or the inverse, right? And so we're getting green-white, white-blue, red-black, blue-black, and red-green. Yeah, we're getting the friendly color combinations. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the, the ones that they've previewed for so far are the full art or borderless ones, even though there is a border at the bottom, which really freaks me out. I'm, I'm looking at the regular ones. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the non-regular ones, whichever. I'm, okay. I'm showing the ones that... I, I'm going to say this. The artwork on them is astounding. The The use of light and all of it is really, really great. I know I, I mentioned art on some of the stuff, but these look amazing. Um, we'll have to see how the format is, because lands that don't come into play... like th This is a land that is, is probably not going to get played in modern. It's probably not going to get played in Legacy. But if the mana is bad enough in Standard, this is like your go-to duel if your deck is trying to go a little bit longer, right? Like you're not trying to cast stuff on turn one. Like half your deck is not, you know, you're not mono-red. You know, you're yeah. trying to play all your one-drops. No, like I, I this think is these are quite good. This is aggro deck. Yeah, it, 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 I think these lands are quite good. They're not very good in, in aggressive decks. And that it kind of annoys me uh, because I feel like mid-range decks always have great mana and get to play like three colors really easily. And aggro decks always struggle to play two. Uh, and it's really frustrating. And uh, I wish they would just give aggressive decks good mana. I think that would go a long way towards helping to balance the format because it just gives us more options. Uh, but these are going to be very good car, uh, lands for um, mid-range decks. The one thing that I will say is you don't want to play a ton of them. You know, if right. you're a three-color deck, focus on your pathways and then figure out which one of these color combinations you really want the most. Uh, you know, if you're a Jun deck, like, do you want Rakdos or or, or Gruul? Um, you, know, you know, which matters more, green or black, basically? Um, there are going to be some three-color combinations that can only play one of these. I suspect the cycle will complete in, um, we'll see. you know, yeah. the next Innistrad set. Uh, and we'll have all 10 in standard. So we'll have these lands. We'll have Pathways. We might have some other things. I'd, I, I'm pretty sure Fabled Passage is rotating, right? Like, uh, Yeah, we're not getting Fabled Passage. Yeah, yeah so uh, we might just be stuck with these two sets of dual lands. Um, and I, which is fine. One, yeah, one thing that I will say about this, like seeing the red black one here, like seeing the the friendly ones, like you said, kind of disappoints me a little bit because I was hoping that we would get the the original ones of Fastlands reprinted, since I feel like they need to be reprinted, even though they've been like expeditions or whatever. But like the fact that they're you know the the fact that some of these are like thirty to forty dollars a piece in real yeah. life, like it's like come on, we need we need this card reprinted. But those those are scars lands, right? So that they they have to right. be printed in a Mirrodin set, sort of, right? Like I guess, I mean, like I mean, Sea Chrome is is part of Mirrodin. Yeah, I guess you're right. The, the name we... Dark Slick that like the names True. reference. True. No, I, I didn't even think about that. You're 100 right. Uh, yeah. I think we might be going back there relatively soon. They keep making. Uh, Phyrexian references, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Maybe we'll go back I, there next year. I think they're getting smarter at realizing that like they need to give lands generic names to make it easier like, to like reprint this, them. Like, yeah. yeah, like these: overgrown farmland, deserted beach, haunted ridge, shipwreck marsh, and rockfall yeah. vale. So these do these do have like a, that bit of horror theme to them, mm -hmm. but they could go in a non Innistrad set, like you know, potentially depending upon the themes of that set. I, I don't know, you know, exactly what that would be, but. Um, you know, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe these do play into specifically the Innistrad plane, but they certainly don't seem like it based on the names. But yeah, they've all got this little really like good. yeah, they've all got this little like scarecrow thing in the art too, which is like really cool finding it in the art. Ever um, one of the next cards I want to talk about. This is a card I think you're going to like quite a bit because it's like right up your alley with the kind of things that you like to do. This is Jadar Ghoulcaller of Nephalia. This is a legendary creature, human wizard. It's a one-one for one and a black. 
And uh, I'm going to read this one and explain it a little bit because it's got one of the new keywords in it. It says, at the beginning of your instep, if you control no creatures with decayed, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decayed. Now, decayed is uh, your creature can't block, but when it attacks, you sacrifice it at the end of combat. So this is a, the new cool thing they're trying out in this is like, when you bring a zombie in, into the game, like, like when you bring this thing back to life, right? Like this is this is kind of the flavor of it. It's like falling apart, right? Like you're bringing a corpse back to life that like might have been dead for a while. You know, you're not you're only reanimating so much of this thing, right? And so it's probably going to be slow, so blocking doesn't make sense, but it can kind of meander towards something, right? And then when it gets there and runs into the thing that it's supposed to run into, it'll do a little bit of damage and then kind of fall over and break apart, right? And like I, I'm envisioning the very classic zombie look you know not, not the more new age ones where they're really fast they can run around and jump and do all kinds of crazy stuff i'm thinking of like the really slow ones yeah, that are like missing a night limb. of the living dead yeah zombie. like the the inevitable zombie type thing but this is a pretty cool creature in the fact that yeah one one for two not the greatest ability right but if you get through the turn you're getting a two two body with it and depending on what we've got you know in the sets it seems like a theme that's been recurred in the and standard for the last what two or three years now is the there's always something in the red black area for if you've got extra bodies lying around, you can get some kind of advantage off those things. And so if you can get some kind of advantage going off this zombie every turn from this one one, you can get a lot of value off this card. Yeah, um, I I. We'll tell you now that you were dead on. This is literally my favorite card preview thus far. I also think it's very good. Yeah. Uh, I think this card is just... It's efficient in what it does. Two mana for three power, three toughness across two bodies that can play offensive defense. Um, you know, uh, I guess it can play like sort of a little bit of, of defense. Um, but, you know, being able to play your two drop and block with it and then... Uh, you know, have a two-two, have you know at least a two-two attacker at some point um, is pretty cool, um, and uh, you you like it's going to lead to you know trades that you come out ahead on a little bit, but not a ton. Uh, but I'm fine with that because it's so cheap. And then obviously, like if you're able to continuously retrigger it for value, um, it's just going to do r- really good things. Um, yeah, like the, the way I envision it, and by the way, I know my audience, Ross. Like I saw this, and I immediately like this is a Ross card. Yeah. Um, I don't see this being exceptionally great in like the heavy creature on creature matchups. Like if you're kind of an aggro deck and they're kind of an aggro deck, like you're probably going to get outclassed and not being able to block on the draw is a big, you know, kind of thing that matters. But if your deck has some way to get value from the token, right? You know, I think of something like obviously we don't have Goblin Bombardment, but th- something like Goblin Bombardment or you know, village rights, you know, just things like that in your deck where you're constantly getting some kind of value out of it. I could see it being good enough. But then in the matchups where your opponent has like some removal, but doesn't necessarily like never blocking. This card is a nightmare for them. in the fact that like, like you said, it's three power over two bodies on turn as soon as turn two. And like, you're just, you're just attacking them because you don't care if you lose any part of it because you still have the value of the other part. Yeah. So, and getting that at such a low cost at two mana is really nice. I think it being legendary isn't that big of a deal because your opponent right. is going to want to kill every yeah. single copy of it. Um, you know, I like the synergy with Champion of the Perished. If there, you know, becomes a zombie tribal deck, uh, you're able to just keep triggering Champion of the Perished to turn after turn after turn. 
uh, which is super cool. So uh, I'm 100% in on this card. I've already brewed around it. You will certainly see it on Versus Live this week, perhaps multiple times. Yeah, this is the card that I saw it. I was like, this is in like half of Ross's decks going in, in into the next set. Yeah, that's about um, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that tracks. I have the math right here. It's actually 47.8%. I, 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 I have my Google document of IMH brews that I have for Versus, and I'm just like, sure. there's a lot of JDARs on that in this document. <laughs> Uh, so the next card, uh, real quick, wanted to go over another card that matters for daylight, nighttime, and uh, you know happens to you know go into the wolf thing that we were talking about. This is uh, Tovalar Dire Overlord. Hopefully, I'm getting these names right or whatever. But uh, you probably aren't, but that's okay. Sure. This is a legendary creature. It's a human werewolf, and it's a three-three for one red to green. It says when a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Already pretty good, right? If there's a wolf deck, here here we go. Like we got some card advantage on a on a good body. Three-three for three. It says, the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, it becomes night, then transform any number of human werewolves you control. So this is actually important. You get to decide whether you want to transform this or not. Right? Um, no, it becomes and, night. No, 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 no. It's saying at the beginning of your of your upkeep, you can do this. Um, and then you can, tra- well, hold on. I think this so, is to allow it to play with werewolves from pre- previous oh, yeah, sets. Okay, that makes sense to me because I, I thought this. Okay, I thought I, I forgot that it says it becomes night while I was reading. I, I thought for a second that you got to like, even if like day and night didn't transform, you could transform something. You know what I mean? Like you could make this thing transform, kind of thing. No, I'm just wrong with that. But okay, so anyway, it transforms into a four four. Uh, the midnight scourge. It says when a wolf or werewolf you you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. It's the same ability, but it's got X green red. It says target wolf or werewolf you control gets plus X plus zero and gains trample until turn. So this is a really cool callback, by the way. This is Kessig Wolf Run on a creature that goes yeah. into any of your werewolves. So while it's not on a land like it was in the past, you don't have to tap the lands. You can do this multiple times because don't forget, you can just do make X zero and be like red, green, that has trampled, that has trampled, that has trampled kind of thing. If, if you play against like the token deck, which I think might be a thing because there usually is one in Innistrad. I mean, you've just got this great trio now of, of gold werewolves that all look, you know, playable. Kessig Naturalist, Tovalar, Dire Overlord, and Arl in the Pax Hope. So, uh, and this one, I think my, I think this one might just be the best of the bunch. Like, being able to just play your two-drop wolf, then play Tovalar and attack them and draw a card is really strong. Uh, and you and you also have the pack leader from uh, AFR. So you're starting with four really strong cards here if you're trying to build a Gruul wolf tribal deck. Um, a little awkward given that we're all kind of sick of Gruul aggro <laughs> after two years of Gruul Adventures, but uh, I imagine this will play mu- much different than Gruul Adventures. Um, and it, it just seems, uh, I, this card just, is just good. Yeah. I like this card a lot. Um, we'll get to some stuff that's going to work well with it, you know, as, as we finish this show and more, cause like there, there's going to be the cheaper werewolves that are important, but this is going to be, if there's a werewolf centric, like aggressive deck, like if there's a gruel aggressive deck, like you're talking about, this is going to be the card and the important turn in standard where like, especially against like the control decks versus this deck is like, is it, does this card resolve? Does your creature hit? Yeah, you know, because they're going to be playing shocks in this format. I'm assuming against a lot of these creatures, and this is a three-three that gets around it. So, does your other creature survive? Get through? Do they have the essence scatter? Do they have the dissipate? Yeah, that card's coming back yet again. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, so this is going to be one of the inflection points of, of the format if if this deck is good and playable. So, 
uh, definitely look forward to seeing this one quite a bit. And a nightmare for control decks if the control deck's on the draw, because if it resolves on turn three, usually turn three is the turn the control deck wants to pass with their cancel variant yeah. up, right? And you can't. And now, yeah, now they, they have a real hard time doing that against this card because you're transforming it, you're taking four, your opponent's drawing a card, and you're suddenly really far behind, and your cancel like is probably not going to do, do enough to catch you back up. So and they have a wolf run in play now, yeah. and you have a cancel, so like you're probably going to die. So now your uh, opponent's probably forced yeah. to tap out for their removal spell, and then you get to resolve your Arlen, and everything yep. just keeps snowballing badly. Yeah, it's it's going to be really bad for uh, some of the control players in this. So if you're if you're a big fan of punishing the blue black player at your local FNM or your local area, the, these cards are definitely for you. Especially if they're counterspell heavy. I think the control decks will adapt yes. by just becoming more tap outy. Uh, you yeah. know, big threats of their own at the top of their curve, a lot of removal, that kind of thing. Which really, you know, kind of actually works into the way that Innistrad was the original time around. If I remember Innistrad uh, standard very well, the control decks, we didn't play a ton of counterspells. Like, we played, like, Dissipate because it was so good against, like, Unbarrel Rights and a couple other cards. You know, got the extra value. And then we played, like, maybe a Rewind or two because it was so good in the deck because you had, like, Snapcaster, Restoration Angel and things like that, and you were just getting value. But your deck was, like, a bunch of Pillar of Flames and, what was it, Searing Spear, I think was the, the one at the time. You know, like, just a bunch of actual factual War leaders helix yeah just damage that could go upstairs or downstairs and however you needed to play the matchup you blocked a little bit you just you made you made do through the first couple turns and then you took over so like we'll have to see if it looks like that's what's happening here all right the next card another one to get really excited about in this set this is a big time chase mythic in this set for a lot of people and you'll know as soon as i say the name uh why we have a new Sagarda in this set. This is Sagarda Champion of Light. It's one green, white, white for a Angel 4-4. Four, four. It has Flying and has Trample. It says Humans you control get plus one, plus one. And it has a new ability on here, too. So I'm going to explain the ability to you. It's got Coven. So it says whenever Sagarda attacks, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, that's Coven, by the way. So if you, if you control three or more creatures of three. So it's if you have a, a group of creatures that are a little bit different, you know, a Coven. If you have three you different witches. Look, right. Yeah. You have to look at the top five cards of your library, and you reveal you can reveal a human creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom in a random order. So this is like the best Militia Bugler ever printed. It's got a much better version of that ability. You get to look through the top five. It doesn't have the... It has to be a certain amount of power. So this is a pretty interesting card, right? Because it's a flying, trampling 4-4 that's also a lord, right? And then if it gets to... If, if the thing with Coven, especially this version of it, is Sagarda has to attack, which is the big thing. So if this survives and attacks, you're probably getting some form of card advantage. This card seems pretty damn good and pretty powerful if it gets to do its thing. Yeah, but it, it, this is a, a very win more card to me because if it's doing its thing, then you're probably attacking with three creatures, including you know a four-drop flying lord. And your opponent hasn't interacted with them, so I'm not high on the Coven mechanic for that reason. It's a mechanic that only kicks in when you've already done quite a bit of stuff and your opponent has failed to interact with you. That said, four mana, four four flying trample, pump all your humans. That seems like it's above the baseline to me. If there's a human tribal deck, um, especially if the those stats, you know, four toughness ends up being a flashpoint in the format. Uh, I, you know, I haven't looked enough at all the removal, you know, depending upon what's rotating and what's not. Um, you know, we're losing Fire Prophecy. We're losing, so we're losing some of the three damage removal. I think Scor Scorching Dragonfire is also going, I, I think. Um, but we'll see exactly what, what else is there and what people are playing. So 
Uh, I think a lot of this card is going to depend on ha- its ability to dodge removal in the format. Uh, and there might come, you know, a week or two period where uh, decks are unprepared for it, uh, you know, and then Sigarda will be good. If that time doesn't come, then Sigarda won't be good. Uh, but I, I don't think this is a card that can really stand on its own because it just requires so much to go right in order to be effective. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to bring up a card here real quick. Uh, and well, actually, so wait, I'm going to skip that one and come back to it. I'm going to talk about this card because this one kind of fits into the possible human theme. And this this one looks like it's going to be an interesting card that might show up in some spots. But this is a Brutal Cathar. It's a rare that's two and a white for a 2-2. And it says when it enters the battlefield or transforms into a Brutal Cathar, meaning if it transforms back from... Yeah, so anytime you get the front version of it, the daybound version of it, you get to exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield. And it when it, and it transforms, it turns into a 3-3, with first strike, uh, werewolf that has ward pay three life. So again, this is a creature that's really fragile and will die to all removal. But in the right matchup, this is one of those cards that like you could possibly bring it out of your sideboard and be like, all right, I'm just gonna start killing all your stuff. Yeah. So am I interpreting this correctly that you can eventually have multiple creatures underneath Brutal Cathar? Because it, you know it transforming is not it leaving the battlefield. It's still the same game object. Um, so you know you you cast Brutal Cathar and it's and it's uh, day, and you get the ETB trigger, and then you transform into Moonrage Brute when it goes night, it goes back to day, then the creature that you initially exiled stays there, Brutal Cathar then exiles something else, so that there's some nice upside there. Obviously, like, once it transforms, it's it no longer suffers from the weakness that all these creatures do. You know, there's a long history of, uh, you know, Skyclave Apparition being the most recent and best, uh, but there's also uh, Banisher Priest and Fiend Hunter, um, you know, of creatures that do this, and they're all pretty small. You know, the all this is a two-two apparition and banisher priest are two twos. Fiend hunter was a one-three, um, so they usually don't get into combat that well. Um, though when they do, the cards are really, really good because you're getting that clean two for one. In this case, three-three first strike is going to get into combat on a lot of battlefields. So there is some upside there where you get to realize the full two for one because you have a body that is effective in combat. Uh, while also having exiled a creature. That said, it's being printed at a time when we do have access to Skyclave Apparition. So for this year, it's really competing hard with Apparition. This being a single white is really nice for decks that aren't heavy white, and I expect it to be better than Apparition in those decks, but probably worse than Apparition in decks that are heavy white, just because the latter being so... Um, consistent and be like it you know actually permanently dealing with the threat is so important and really underrated so um, i'm worried for the first year of brutal cathar but i like this card and i think you kind of like hit the nail on the head there for the important part with it being a single white because i could actually envision that if if the gruel deck is good the gruel werewolf deck is good that like if the mana is good enough to splash a tiny bit of white that this is a card you might actually want to splash for because it, it might fit in okay with the curve. It might fit in like as a sideboard card in like the mirror match where you're not expecting to see a ton of a ton of uh, removal in the mirror, and you're just like, okay, well, I'm gonna bring this thing to like you know snipe the the tempo back from you. Like if I'm on the draw, well, my three drops gonna kill your three drop, and my two, my two drop starts attacking you now. Yeah, and stuff and, like that. And so like, even if you're not a werewolf deck yourself, if you're playing against werewolves, this card seems great because your opponent is gonna be actively trying to flip their cards back and forth to generate value, right? And if they're doing that, then you're flipping your Cathar back and forth and just exiling all their shit. 
I'll shoot that and I'll shoot that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I, um, I, I, I hadn't noticed that until now, but yeah, definitely a, a, a very good cyborg card against a gruel werewolf deck is the white werewolf, which is kind of neat. Yeah. It's the anti-werewolf um, werewolf. Yeah, there you go. And so th- there was a card that kind of caught my eye on the spoiler, and it's one of those ones where like you look at it, and you're like, ooh, that looks kind of good. And then you kind of like, well, maybe not. And then you're like, well, 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 maybe so. And this one, have you seen this one? It's Secrets of the Key. And we've seen cards like this a lot recently, and this one's a little bit different, though. Is this the it's one I think for, it is? It's an instant for one blue oh, that yeah. investigates. Yep. Yeah, so it's one blue instant investigate. But it says, if this spell is cast in the graveyard, investigate twice. It has flashback three and a blue. This is a lot of mana to draw some cards, by the way. Yeah, you're spending 11 mana to draw three cards. But it's spaced out. It's, it's, you get to put a layaway. You get to, you get to do it whenever you're ready for it. You know, you just put up the credit card and pay for it later kind of thing. But also... If it's relevant to get the to get the artifact in play, you know, if you if you need like the you know the thing in your yard, if you get any value off casting instants and sorceries, which there's going to be an emphasis on that, and I'll talk about that in a little bit later. There's some there's some cards in this set. There's Demi-Lich and stuff like that uh, in standard right now, where cards like this might be good because you're going to be doing a lot of stuff early, trying to like make all these things work, and then you're going to just you know you're going to be making land drops, so you're going to need stuff to do with your mana later in the game. You start making your sixth and seventh land drop. And having some clues sitting around is probably a thing that'll be pretty good. Yeah, I, I agree. You got this is a card that re, you've got to be getting something out of it synergy wise, whether it's through it being a one minute instant with Magecraft or uh, you know some similar effect, or you're getting value through it generating a lot of artifacts. Uh, you know, uh, I guess with like Galazeth Prismari, now you've got more artifacts that you can tap for mana to start casting spells. Um, and that's pretty cool because they don't, it doesn't have to be treasures. Galazeth Prismari says any artifact, right? Um, so there's gotta be some synergy going on here that you're building around and it's not a good enough card by itself, but it's definitely good enough to see play if it is properly enabling powerful synergies in your deck. So I agree with you. This is a card that's very easy to overlook because it is not a standalone card. This is an enabler. And they're, you know, as a one mana enabler that, you know, does some important things because we, there are powerful ways to take advantage of, of both sides of those. Um, maybe not all in standard. There's not really artifacts uh, synergies around in standard, but in other formats there are. Um, there's some potential here for sure. And one of the cards that I was talking about is the one we're going to talk about next. And this is like one of my favorite cards in the set. And you'll understand why. It's just the way I like to play magic. And this is one of the other myth- mythics from the set. Um, this one's a blue one called... Uh, Poppet Stitcher, I guess is, is the name of it. It's two and a blue for a human wizard. And it's a two, three. It says, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a two, two black zombie creature with decayed. We, we've talked about decayed already. Um, and it says at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more creature tokens, you can transform Poppet Stitcher. Then it turns into Poppet Factory. Or this is an artifact that says creature tokens you control lose all abilities and have base power and toughness three and three. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may transform the factory. So, this is a card that in the right matchups can be very, very powerful, right? Like I can see this like coming in out of sideboards or control decks for like the control mirror or something like that. Where like just, you know, in, in sideboard games, when your opponent's going to bring the removal out, you bring in this two, three that every time you cast a spell, you're getting this two, two, like the thing is the two twos can't block, right? Well, if you get to transform it, they become three threes. They're no longer decayed. They can block, they can do whatever they want. And then if they do something to these creatures, yeah, you can just flip it back over into the creature and start all over again. Um, I think this is going to be one of the higher variance cards in the set. It's either going to be very good or like just not good enough and not played at all. But we're already seeing 
multiple one mana quote unquote cantrips here with the investigative card and the the new opt that's in the set. And then if you have a couple, you know, other removal spells and card draw, this is the kind of card that can be very, very good. And I've been thinking about uh, pairing this with Demilich as well. I have uh, thought about that too. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and there's a card that later on that we're going to talk about that a lot of people have a lot of hype in this set that go along with this card and Demilich really well as well. And so other, this, other this question is, though, Tannen, d- yeah. do you think expressive iteration would be a good card in this deck full of cheap instants and sorceries? Uh, you know, Ross, I'd have to think about it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to have to sit down and think about it. But yes, obviously. It's gonna <laughs> is, that, is that a good card for yeah. for a deck like this? So yeah, a, a lot of good tools surrounding the Poppet Stitcher um, doing some cool stuff. I, I Obviously, like the, the dream scenario is turn three Stitcher, Turn four, three one mana spells, cast my Demi Lich, and next turn I get to transform, and suddenly I have three 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 zombies and a Demi Lich attacking, and the, the game is just over. Yep. Um, other cool blue card that's on this preview, and I don't know if this is going to make Constructed. It probably won't. But this is easily my favorite card so far for Limited. And you, if you knew about me and Burning Vengeance back in the day, this is why. And he made that deck work in Constructed. This card is, we'll go through this one real quick. It's called Ominous Roost. It's two and a blue for an enchantment. It says when it when Ominous Roost enters the battlefield, or whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, create a 1-1 blue bird creature token of flying, and that token can only block creatures from flying. Yeah. Do you know what people on Twitter are already calling this card? What? Burning Vengeance. Birding Vengeance? Yeah. Oh, God, I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> we don't have to talk about it too much, but the fact that it makes a token... I think if it didn't make the token when it comes into play, this one would be, like, not very good at all. But in Limited, paying three mana to invest into this card to get a 1-1 flyer token, yeah, it doesn't block very well, but the fact that if you get any, you know, value out of it as the game goes on, because you know me, I, I like these dirtily do-nothing flashback all my spells decks, and it, it, it curves really well into uh, Secrets of the Key, because Secrets of the Key, you know flashbacks for four so you're looking at some some cool stuff going on here and limited and like i don't know maybe some crazy person makes this and constructed and it's good enough if everything's slow enough but i, I don't know you there's, have a lot of removal well, there's no way that's happening but yeah but this yeah. is the cool card yeah. anyway we can we can skip on. past it i want to i want to make sure people understand one point about this card because the creatures can only block flyers you have to be very aggressive with them, which means the spells you're casting better affect the battlefield. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to fall behind, right? Yeah. So play this with a lot of removal, kill all your opponent's stuff, and then just kill them with birds. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. Yeah. Uh, another card here, next one on the list that I think could be a very good, let's say role player, I think is the right way to put this. Instead of going, this is foul play. Have you seen this black removal spell? It's one in the black for a sorcery. And it destroys target creature power two or less and investigates. Uh, really we interesting need a, one. We need, yeah, it, it needs to be a specific thing, right? Like, if the zombie deck is pretty decent, depending on where the power toughness is on the front half of some of these werewolves, if this is good enough, this is a card that can actually do quite a bit of work in some control decks where you don't mind just, like, on my turn, cast this spell, kill your thing, you know, investigate, that, to be able to do something later on and draw an extra card later in the game. So it just matters how important, I mean, how many cards that it can target on average in your opponent's deck. Yeah, so you think about it as a sideboard card, right? You know, it's your anti-aggro removal spell. And in theory, it sounds really good. But the way I think Magic is played these days, the most important attribute for your removal spells against opposing aggressive decks is mana efficiency. 
because their threats are really powerful and you just need to stay alive. And usually once you do that, you have cards that are powerful enough to take over the game. You don't really need the extra investigate. Like the constructed just isn't played on that axis anymore that I'm going to grind marginal value, get an extra card here, extra card there, extra card, you know, a few turns down the road and suddenly I'm really far ahead. It's like it's played on the axis of I'm going to stall until I can land my fucking Teferi or my ultimatum or some other giant threat, at least when you're the reactive deck. Um you know, or uh, I guess into the story is another good example, like really powerful. You're drawing four cards at once. Um, so I think this is more of a limited card. I think it'll be a great limited card because most decks will have a good number of targets, you know, all, almost all their two and three drops. Right. Uh, and that's where uh, magic is played on that axis. But in constructed, I'd much rather look at like the, the something lash, whatever the plus two minus two for a single black at, at instant speed is, or, um, you know, Blood Chief's Thirst as another one-mana option. Um, so uh, that has some more versatility later in the game. So I don't think this one is going to break into Constructed, but I think it'll be one of the better, like, uncommons for Black and Limited. This will yeah, probably be like I a tier... See that. I, I, I'll put this at, like, Tier 2 Uncommon for Black mm-hmm. and Limited that you probably take over all but the best commons. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, another cool card from the set, Consuming Ooze. This is three green green for a star, star plus one. So this this card's really cool, right? It's going to be three like... green green for a Tarmogoyf. Yeah, well, sort of. It's a little better than Tarmogoyf yeah. in some ways, but way more expensive. So it's an Ooze. It's powered it is equal to the... I mean, I'm assuming it's powered toughness is equal oh, to the number your of card graveyard? types. God, I thought it said all graveyards. Yeah, I thought it was easier. just Tarmogoyf. I, Ross, let me read the damn card for the people at home. All right, so Consuming Ooze's Power Toughness is equal to the number of card types among cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. At the beginning of your end step, you can create a Green Ooze creature token with, you know, the same ability. So it's just going to spit out extra little yeah. Termogoyves and stuff. So um, it kind of reminds me of Biogenic Ooze. Was that what the name of the five-drop one was a couple years yeah. ago that we had? Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that card a little bit, but we'll see. I, I, the, this, the jury's out on this one for sure. Oh, I'm, I, if I'm the jury, then the jury's in and it's not playable. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. The jury's in and it's not playable. You're going to play pay five mana for... Uh, ideally, you're getting two four fives, right? But you've got to... Your opponent can't answer it immediately. Like, if they have an instant speed removal spell, and there's plenty of those, um, then you've got no value. It doesn't have any kind of haste. You're not even guaranteed for it to be a 4-5. I think there's going to be a lot of times where you just get a couple 3-4s out of this. And honestly, like, 5 mana for two 3-4s with no other abilities, is that even that good? (laughs) Not really. uh, I'd say it's fine. And obviously, like, I I mean, I guess, like, once it gets rolling, once they all... um, uh, So only the original one spits out tokens, yeah. So it it doesn't go crazy. Um, it, it doesn't, uh, increase at, at order two. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the first one is all, all that really matters. I think like, again, like maybe a sideboard card for removal light matchups. Like this is definitely a card that can take over a battlefield in these sort of green mirrors where you don't have a lot of ways to interact with, with opposing creatures. Uh, if you're, you know, your mono white opponent just has Skyclave Apparition, this dodges that, so you might be able to take over the battlefield with it there. So I can see it as a cyber card in that uh, in that application, but uh, other than that, it's just, just no. I definitely meh. kind of agree there. 
We do have a new Gissa in this set, too, the Glorious uh, Resurrector. This is two black black for a 4-4 human wizard. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, put all creature cards exiled with Gissa, Glorious Resurrector, onto the battlefield under your control. They gain Decayed. This is a pretty powerful card, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of Kalidus, you know, the four-drop four, uh, four black creature that kind of, you know, exiles your opponent's creatures. So it has that, like, kind of tactile on it. This is a creature that, like, it's going to be an absolute bomb and limited, and then might sneak into Constructed somewhere. I I like this card. Maybe I think I might be overrating the Decayed mechanic, um, because you don't get a, a ton out of Decayed creatures, right? Right. Uh, can't block and then yeah. they die for the attack or whatever. But. Yeah, but you know, you get a little bit of graveyard hate. You get a reasonable body. You get to generate a ton of advantage off of enters the battlefield triggers from your opponent's creatures. If and you know, generally in constructed, people like to play creatures with enters the battlefield abilities because they're really powerful against removal. So that's where I see this card being really good. And as opposed to previous iterations of this card. Like, yeah, you don't get as much out of it because the creatures have decayed and that's a really negative ability, but you also just don't spend any mana for it. Like, like there was Draugr Necromancer in Kaldheim where the creatures got exiled with that snow ca- an ice counter and you could cast them and use snow mana for any mana, for mana of any color in order to do it. So you're spending a lot of extra mana and yeah, you're getting like the full card out of it. Now you're getting some fraction of a card. Uh, because it's much worse than the original, but you're spending literally no mana in order to do that. So I, I don't, that aspect of it is really appealing to me, where it just comes along for free. It doesn't interfere with your ability to double spell and do other things. You know, I untap with my Gissa, and I kill their creature, I play something else, and suddenly, like, I'm generating advantage if my opponent doesn't kill my creature uh, for, for doing nothing. So um, I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. Uh, so I like this card. But uh, I will certainly uh, put it to the test on versus, and we'll see if I'm overrating, um, you know, mm-hmm. decayed. Right. Uh, quickly on this one, um, Battlestitch Scob is a blue and a black for a 2-3 zombie soldier, but it says other zombies you control get plus 1, plus 0. The fact that it's a 2-3 for 2 is kind of big because I do think the new shock that got previewed is going to get played quite a bit, and so we'll have to see exactly what removal, you know, in this format matters. But a zombie lord for this cheap that you can, you know, play this aggressively... And I say Lord, you know, it's just plus one plus zero. But if zombies is a thing, this card's going to get played. So. Yeah, especially with all the decayed zombies. So mm-hmm. I think this card is really going to depend on do the red decks go with play with fire, which is the new shock, or mm-hmm. do they stay snow and play um, uh, frost? Mm-hmm. What's what's the name of the snow shock that deals three if you have three snow permits? Frostbite. There we go. Frostbite. Uh, so is it frostbite or is it play with fire? Like, you know, one is really good for the scob. One isn't as good. Um, so that'll be a, a metagame decision, but yeah, solid card for a, a zombie tribal deck and, and really cool again with, uh, with champion of the perished where, you know, the, I think people, if you remember with champion of the perish in its time and standard, one of the keys for that card was get it as to a three, three attacking on turn two. So people were playing like gather the townsfolk. There's sort of a new gather the townsfolk in this set, the join the dance, uh, the Selesnia one that has flashback, but, um, you know, the, uh, this Lord gets champion of the parish attacking for three on turn two, that wild Nicodal status tends to be quite good in standard. Um, so I, I like that as a, the base or the, the ideal start for your you know, zombie tribal aggressive strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a card that I think is going to be uh, 
has a decent chance of showing up or whatever, especially if there's like a human deck in the in the set. Um, I like this one a lot. This is Gavany Down uh, Dawn Guard. Sorry, it's one white white for a three three that has Ward one, which is kind of important, you know, because like it kind of puts them off their curve. You know, they can't use their two drop removal spell on the draw right away. So it's a three three human soldier, and it says uh, if it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as Gavany Down uh, Dawn Guard uh, enters the battlefield. I cannot say this word. Um, when, whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card of Mana Valley three or less from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom in any order. So um, I think this is a creature if like the the human deck is is a thing, right? In this set, or like you know, there's a there's a, a white deck that like is very aggressive. If this is the kind of card that you're going to see get played because. It's going to create some card advantage. It's a big enough body. And having Ward 1 is not just like a little thing to forget about. They can actually come up in some spots. Um, yeah. Um, I I initially liked this card when I read it. Um, and now I'm, you don't as much? Yeah, I've come down a little bit. Just in... Uh, I still like it. I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it cracks through. I've gotten kind of annoyed. I think white... they just given us too many white 3s. Uh, and you know you're competing with Skyclave Apparition and Elite Spellbinder, which are really really good. So the bar is very high for white three drops right now. Uh, there's even all of the Skyclaves as well. So they're giving us this huge glut of, of white threes. We talked about Brutal Cathar earlier, uh, and now he- here's even another one. And then there's the Selesnia, uh, you know, Gold Human, uh, if you want to go Human Tribal. But um, I, I, you know, I. I like that this card, um, you know, it, just by itself. I like that it's a standalone good card, right? You know, just by itself, it doesn't need any help. It looks like a, a very good, like militia bugler, right? Uh, so uh, I'm happy about that. It's awkward in multiples because uh, you know the, the first one stops the later ones from triggering. So this to me is a card that's going to depend on how easy is it to get back tonight. Um, because I, I need to be able to re-trigger it and, do, you know, do a bunch of good stuff and, and get my, like, realize some of that upside because the, the, the standaloneness, which I, which I look for and is, is good and all is a little bit negated by the fact that it, all the second, you know, the extra copies end up being bad, even if like, you know, the first down guard gets killed, like that doesn't change night or day status. So that's, what's brought me down a little bit. I, I feel like I might be overrating that because I, like the first copy matters a lot more than in uh you know later copies because most games you're, you're just gonna draw the one um more I've I don't, I, don't, I wonder exactly how that how the math works out there like how often do you draw one copy of card two copies three copies four you know four happens very rarely three doesn't happen very often at all but how close are, are one and two um so th- that's that's going to be a big determining factor for me on this card, um, but it's definitely a solid one and one that I'm going to try out. Mm-hmm. Okay, definitely see that. Uh, kind of get through these next few ones. Uh, this is another card that kind of works off some of the stuff we've seen earlier and might be a role player in those decks. This is Arcane Infusion. It's a blue and a red for an instant. It says, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put that into your hand. Put the rest in the bottom in the library in a random order. And it's got flashback for three blue-red. Um, this is the kind of card that, in the right deck, could be very good. But your critical mass of sorceries and instants needs to be pretty damn high. Because whiffing on this is going to be very, very, very bad. So you need to be also doing other things. Like your instants or sorceries to be triggering something or you're moving towards something. 
you know, something like Demi Lich or it's creating two twos off the, you know, the, the wizard thing that we were talking about earlier. So you having this is just something to search for and is there sorcery in your deck? Probably not good enough. But it does have flashbacks, so you can trigger some stuff later. If your deck is all about critical mass of spells and just casting as many of them every turn as you can, this is a card that you're going to see maybe show up as a you know a few of in some of those type decks. I actually don't think that's where this card's role is, especially because we already have expressive iteration and um, uh, strategic planning. Uh, but I think this is a control card, like reactive control deck kind of card, and it, it it's just like a better think twice almost. Um, you get this like really good anticipate. Those decks are chock full of instances and sorceries. If the deck isn't reactive enough, then expressive iteration becomes kind of awkward because you, you just don't have a lot of cards to tap out for. And at that point, Arcane Infusion, I think, looks a little bit better. Now, okay. that said, it's going to require a deck like that to exist. Arcane Infusion is not powerful enough to carry that kind of archetype. It's a role player in that archetype. Um, so if that kind of deck exists, I think infusion could be a good piece in it. Maybe you don't play four because obviously like it, it takes it, it all the first copy and the second copy take up a lot of mana. You don't really need a ton of them. Um, but that's where I, I view it. You know, when I'm playing the all in proactive cast a lot of spells and generate, you know, uh, value from that and, and build around those synergies, I want as many ones as I can get. And I'm really judicial about the twos that I put in my deck and I think this falls a little bit short of the mark there when we already have such strong options in iteration and strategic planning because the graveyard synergies are going to be pretty clear. Like you get to put flashback cards in the graveyard. You get to put Demi Lich in the graveyard uh, with your strategic planning. So, Sure. Uh, next card. This one's very interesting. Uh, a lot of talk about this one. It might be a really cool commander card and stuff as well. People talking about this one's the Celestius. It's a three-mana legendary artifact. It says, if it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as this enters the battlefield. Um, it taps for one man of any color, and then you pay three and tap it. If it's night, it becomes day. Otherwise, it becomes night. Activate only as a sorcery. And it says, whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, you gain one life. You may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Um, that's a lot of words. A lot of day and nights, because they have to phrase it really weird in all the cards. I'm not sure about this, but I've seen some people talking about it. Um, it matters if you're getting some value off the looting, like gaining the life of it. And like, it matters if the format's slow enough for you to play a three mana artifact to make more mana and kind of ramp into some stuff. But I'm not sure I'm seeing it. Uh, like, I just not, I'm not seeing what werewolf cards you want to play alongside a manolith, right? Yeah, I don't even know if you want to necessarily play like werewolf cards either you know what i mean it's like that's what i'm saying like i just i'm not i'm not sure i'm seeing this i'm sure some people are gonna have fun with it you know you can switch stuff back and forth like you like but not for me maybe this is like an anti-werewolf card because you have the ultimate control over their cards is and it, good, so you put, well we talked about how the you know against werewolves you want to be more of a tap out control deck right so tap right. out control deck with a lot of different colors. You get a nice mana fixer, mana accelerant into powerful five drops. You know, we're losing extinction event. Maybe you need to be casting Shadows Verdict as your main sweeper. And so you want to be able to cast it on turn four. Um, and the, like late game when your opponent really is looking to, you know, get their Arlens on the other side and bash you for five, you can just start, you know, playing with them. Like what what happens if, yeah, it's activated only as a sorcery. So uh disregard I, I was thinking about like what happens if oh, they're like yeah if they're like attacking with an arlen and you and you make it day mid combat yeah what what happens um i would imagine it just gets removed from combat and they get to yeah. activate it you know post i would, I would assume that yeah. Like, yeah, yeah uh but like the, the uh that's that's actually where i'm seeing this card i think it's i think mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of people are going to look at it and want to play it with werewolves. I think this is actually an anti-werewolf card. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, this next card I want to talk about, uh, this one's pretty cool, and if we are going to get a bunch of vampires in the next set, I think this is going to be one of the standout cards. This is Vampire Socialite. Uh, it's black-red for a 2-2 Vampire Noble. It's got Menace, and it says, uh, whenever this enters the battlefield, if an opponent lost life this turn, put a plus-plus one counter on each other vampire you control, and as long as an opponent lost life this turn, each other vampire you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus-plus one counter on it. So, uh... You can do some some crazy stuff with with this kind of card. Not necessarily a straight up lord, but like it definitely has that lord kind of effect. It's an aggressive two drop that attacks really well through blockers, and works pretty damn well in in, uh, in multiples. They they have to have taken damage this turn for you to get the initial plus one plus one counter, right? Right. Is if an opponent lost life this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on each vampire you control. Which is it's fun. like even if you do this like if you're like. You know, you have a couple of vampires playing, like like two of them, you like attack you, and they're like take it, and you like play it, and you're like pump my two teams and make a two two. Like that's good enough, you know, like early enough in the game. Like you're still pumping your whole team, et cetera, et cetera. So like, I think this card's gonna be pretty damn good if the, if there's a vampire deck. Yeah, they so the so yeah, it, it reads pretty well. I think it's solid, and if there's a vampire deck, it will certainly be a part of it. I suspect that the vampire deck will have to wait until the next Sinister on set. When so we get vampires, <laughs> yeah, like we've, we've got we've got the good one mana two one. So you got a solid one drop right that like you know lets you if you've dealt damage to them lets you pay two discard a card sack a vampire and draw two. So you get to like you know discard a, it's sort of a mana sink late in the game. So it's nice to have a you know a one mana two one that you can still be relevant as the game goes along. Um, in this case with the socialite. There's one thing that I really like about it, and then another one thing that I that I don't much like about it. Uh, the thing I really like, the the upside I see is it, it reads a lot like Thalia's Lieutenant, and we know we already know Thalia's Lieutenant is a really good card. But the reason Lieutenant is a very good card is the fact that it's a Lord that you can't completely undo with a single removal spell because it you know it puts all the counters down. So if they kill Thalia's Lieutenant, then you know, you, your counters stay around as opposed to, you know, a traditional Lord where the buffs are going to go away. So that's really valuable because it makes it really difficult to interact with. It means that you're generally going to be trading in a positive way. Um, then th that said, if you have a, a creature that does that, that doesn't have much of a body, then you're effectively just playing an instant or sorcery, right? That does that. You're uh, what a Bassery's, um, whatever the two mana like yeah. put a plus and plus one counter on each creature you control you're you're kind of like playing that card and so thalia's lieutenant's second ability meant that it was also going to become a relevant threat as the game goes along vampire socialite you know two two menace so it, it's solid by itself it doesn't get bigger but it has enough of a body to be a threat so you can force a removal spell on it and get that trade where you've already gotten value um the second ability uh, is very nice because it's a lot easier for you to meet that condition and, and you know you, you just attack and play your creatures post-combat, which is what you normally want to do. The problem is that first ability, the condition is really uh, you know unfortunate because what you want to be doing is playing your Thalys Lieutenant or your, your Lord pre-combat so your creatures get bigger and it's easier for you to attack. Maybe now you can attack with an extra creature that you know wasn't big enough before. You get a lot of extra damage in, and you don't really do that. The Socialite here is going to be putting counters on post-combat, which is rather awkward and, and diminishes the amount of value that you can get. So what I'm going to be looking for from these vampire decks is 
cheap creatures that can help you meet this condition because it's clear that the vampires are going to want to meet this condition so like mm-hmm. a, a card like goblin fire slinger but that's a vampire might be something that you know probably a little bit more powerful than that but that kind of effect is, is it was it fire slinger i'm talking about the one from m12 that was meant to trigger bloodthirst it was just a red for a one one and tap yeah, the I know yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 like I that remember, yeah. like that kind of card um, you know, something that you're not going to have to spend mana on on the turn that you want to you know, meet the condition. So a one drop like of that kind of activation. Like if there's just a card that says when you cast a vampire spell or when you cast a vampire or when a vampire comes. Oh, I guess when you cast a vampire, your opponent takes one or loses a life. You know, yeah, th- that would be great. I, and that like would be really good. This ability too. triggers only once per turn because they've been putting that yeah. on. And I think if they, if you didn't put that, it, it might get awkward. But like, yeah, if there, if there was like a one mana one one, maybe we have like life linker menace or some appropriate ability that just said whenever you cast a vampire, your each you know target opponent or each opponent loses a life. Uh, maybe it could even be a two one. I don't know. But like that kind of card, it has to be a cast trigger because if it's an ETB trigger, then the socialite. Um, doesn't trigger, doesn't trigger yeah. because it ha- has to, you have to meet the condition when the tri- ability would go on the stack. Yeah, and uh, when it, uh, I guess this, yeah, when it goes on the stack. So, um, so the, I'm, I'm because of this card because my, of, I think a good vampire deck is going to have to maximize this card. I want to see something that helps me meet that condition so I can cast it on my pre-combat main phase and be able to get that trigger before I attack, uh, like I would with Thalia's Lieutenant. All right. Absolutely. Uh, the next card I want to talk about is my early. Um, it's my early pick for sleeper of the set, and by sleeper set I don't mean it's going to be like busted or whatever. But I think it's a card that some people are just kind of glossing over and not taking a good look at. And I think this card could be pretty cool and pretty good. And that's Curse of Silence. This one is a one mana enchantment or a curse. This is enchant player. As Curse of Silence enters the battlefield, choose a card name. Spells of the chosen card name. Uh, enchanted player casts cost two more to cast. And then if the player casts that spell of the chosen name, you may sacrifice Curse of Silence if you do draw a card. Um, it's it's not Meddling Mage, right? But like you start putting this alongside cards like Elite Spellbinder, you've got some real good stuff going on here and slowing down your opponent. You know their hand. You can slow them down quite a bit. And then as the game goes on, yeah, they might get to cast the spell, right? Like, you're stopping, like, their three drop or their four drop, right? But if you get to turn five or six, they get to cast it. Well, now you can cash in your Curse of Silence for a card and kind of get back that card disadvantage that you were getting until you're getting some advantage out of the card until you cash in for that card. Or if you know they have multiple copies of it, you can still, like, leave it in play and be like, you still have to spend your whole next turn doing this, and then I can draw another card kind of thing. Um, Also, don't forget that this is going to be this is going to be something that might come up a little bit more in, a, in an area where there's flashback spells and you know for a fact, like you could see the card in their graveyard and it's usually going to cost a little bit more to flashback anyway or you see Dimmy Lich in your opponent's graveyard or whatever, something like that. So you can just play this preemptively or play this after you see the card in the graveyard and get a decent effect out of that and slow your opponent down just, just enough to get, you know, to get there with what I'm guessing would be, like, you know, some kind of white aggressive deck or something, so. Yeah, I hadn't really thought much about this card. I just kind of glossed over it, but you, you make a lot of strong points. I think that last ability, the the being able to get your card back so you're not losing card advantage once your opponent finally gets the mana to cast the spell that you name is really that's always important. the bit that's always the biggest problem, right? Like you get a meddling mage of play and they're like, all right, shock it now, like wrath you or something, you know, or, and you're like, well, that sucked. Or like, they're like, you know, uh, kill your thing that stops me from playing this card and, you know, play the card that, that blows you out, you know, kind of thing. So at least this one 
doesn't just sit around doing nothing afterwards, you know? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm, I I can see this card doing some things. It's definitely a cyborg card, like, you're not you're not main decking it, but, um, and, and but, it, yeah, and, and the point about flashback, too, is, is also interesting. So, I would have normally thought, like, you know, probably not, but now I'm, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm maybe. Okay, <laughs> you, so you I've, me I've, I've changed you up a, yeah, I brought you up a layer. All right, yeah. cool. Uh, Pithing Needle is getting reprinted in the set. That was the card they were kind of... Uh, I don't know if you saw this. They had said, oh, there's a tournament card getting reprinted in this one that costs one or something. That That's the one. The next card, this is the one that I think we're seeing the most talk about overall with the biggest delta on what people... Some people are like, I don't think this card's good at all. And then I've seen people like... I've seen a Firing Spike say that he thinks this might be the best card in the set or whatever. And this one is called uh, uh, Faithful Mending. I almost said the wrong, the wrong name there. It's Faithful Mending. So it's blue and a white for an instant. It says, you gain two life, draw two cards, then discard two cards. Flashback, one white, blue. So, obviously, everyone's comparing this to Faithless Looting. And, in fact, they actually have the word looted on this card in the um, the flavor text, which everybody thinks is just, like, kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of, well, you got looting in the first one, so now you get, you get the next form of looting. Now, this one's a little different. Obviously, it's not red. It's blue and white, right? But you, you know, you think of cards like Demi-Lich and stuff like that. You think of some of the stuff in other formats, like... Oh, you know, is this is this playable with um, is this playable with you know Arclight Phoenix? Something like that two mana is a lot more than one, right? Yeah, yeah, obviously. But this card having flashback and there being flashback spells in this format, this is a card that could be very, very good in the right decks. I I agree. I th- I think you, this is going to be a card that is quite good but in a very narrow range of decks i see people basically just trying to shoehorn it into any deck that would want faithless looting um and the the main efficiency was really important in looting obviously i i've heard people try to like say this card could be good at control decks and that to me seems bonkers because when did you ever see control decks play a card like faithless looting um you know you're you're gonna need to get really good value out of it I think the key here is, is taking advantage of the flashback. So I like this card in Dredge because it's an enabler that you can dredge into. I think it's going to be worth stretching the mana base and just playing Cathartic Reunion and it and being a sort of Jeskai mana base. Maybe maybe it's now time to like move almost completely away from uh, Life from the Loam. That's a tough thing to do, though, because you need, like Life from the Loam is sort of your third land drop. Uh, but maybe you play enough... Um, enough uh of the land god that land kind of sucks though yeah you're probably gonna have to be four colors more salvage or whatever yeah it's probably just gonna have to be a four color mana base that plays a good number of five color lands in it um but you know you're gonna gain a you know you gain a little bit of life back with the faithful mending so i don't think that's a big deal and obviously you have um uh creeping chill as well so in dredge i think you know huge winner um you know i've heard like uh esper gorio's vengeance which was sort of a control deck, but has this proactive plan. I could definitely see Faithful Mending in a deck like that. I'm not big on Faithful Mending in like the heavy spells matters kind of decks like Arclight Phoenix. Uh, you know, are you going to play a Jeskai Phoenix deck uh, and have this card? You know, it being it being an instant doesn't really matter in decks like that because you're usually playing on your main phase, so you can trigger Arclight Phoenixes and whatever else you're playing it costing two mana does matter quite a bit you know there's a lot of reasonable two mana red cards that can enable arclight phoenix and none of them have enabled the deck to be good right so why why is this one the one that is really good at, at doing so 
you know, yeah, you can get double Phoenixes back, but you can't do it on turn three. So you're still a turn behind where you used to be. Uh, and I, you know, um, so I'm skeptical in those contexts, but there are definitely some contexts where I think this card is quite good. So ultimately, I would say overrated, but I would be. Um, <laughs> we're not to that. We're not to that segment yet, Ross. Yeah, uh, I think the card's being overrated right now, but it's definitely good. Yeah, one more card I kind of want to talk about here. Your, I want to hear your opinion on this card. Um, there's one called Flesh Taker. It's it's a white and a black for a human assassin two two. It says whenever you sacrifice another creature, you gain one life and scry one. And then it has the ability of one sacrifice another creature. Uh, Flesh Taker gets plus two plus two until end of turn. <clears throat> I'm always skeptical of sacrifice outlets that require uh, mana. Mana activation, use. yeah. Um, yeah. It just gets really difficult to develop and use the card effectively. So, you know, you remember like a Pitiless Pontiff, right? I think is one of the more recent ones. Like that card was just unplayable, uh, even though it looked a lot like Cartel Aristocrat, which was very good. And the, that was the main difference here. One of them required a mana to, to sacrifice, one didn't. Yeah. And that's a that's just a really big deal because it throws off your curve. If you play this card as your sac- main sacrifice outlet, you need to be playing as many one-drops as you possibly can so that it makes it very easy for you to leave up the mana. Um, and that really l- limits your deck building, makes your, your deck less powerful. Uh, so I'm pretty skeptical, but you know me. Like I'm going to try to build a sacrifice deck. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm gonna try. I can't. I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. No, of course, of course. Um, I think this would be like all we're gonna cover for today. I, I got, I got one more I want to cover. Sure, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, because I think it's right now my pick for for best card I've seen. Um, okay, so I might have missed this. Yeah, one. it's Which my one early this? leader in the clubhouse, and this is Graveyard Trespasser. Where is this? Uh, it's it's a more recent black werewolf. So it's two and a black for a three three human werewolf on the is this day. The one that exiles a card. Yeah, it's day day okay. bound as a ward to discard a card. And whenever Graveyard Trespasser enters the ah, battlefield yeah. or attacks, exile up to one target card from a graveyard. If a creature card was exiled this way, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. On the uh, night side, it is now a 4-4, still has ward, discard a card. And whenever it enters the... When Graveyard Glutton enters the battlefield or attacks, yeah, so same uh, conditions, exile up to two target cards from graveyards. For each creature exiled this way, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. You know, that marginal uh, graveyard hate is going to be really important, again, in a format that's going to feature flashback spells. So, yeah, you don't get the, the trigger, but you take away their flashback cards. You start yeah. exiling their creatures. You, you, it's easy to win races. This card is difficult to interact with because of the ward ability. You know, Exile Demi-Lich yeah, seems ex- pretty good. Demi-Liches, and when it transforms, like, this card can attack and deal six damage. You can exile two creatures, get two drain triggers, gain two life off of it. It's difficult to remove in combat. Or, or, or remove with a, with a spell, so you got to interact with it in combat. Is what I meant. Um, so, yeah, because because ward discard a card is a very high price. Yeah, it's like Reality Smasher, right? Yeah, uh, it li- literally is Reality Smasher. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm I'm very high on this card. I'm I'm not sure. Like it's awkward to find a home for a black aggressive card in a set where the black aggressive cards are going to almost all be zombies, and then next set vampires. And so with those heavy tribal themes, and I think that might be a reason why this card is pushed, because they're supposed to push werewolves, so we're seeing some good werewolves in other colors than Gruul, Brutal Cathar being an example from white, and Graveyard Trespasser being one in black. So it doesn't surprise me that they're, you know, giving us some strong werewolves in other colors, because, you know, that's the the supposed to be the, the stress point of the set. Um, and this card, I think, is just very strong. I, I'm... I don't think it will end up being the number one card when we do our top eight show, 
But right now, it's the card I'm most confident is going to be good. There might be some cards that I'm a little off on. You know, you never know until you you know start seeing them. But right now, having not played with any of the cards, like I'm just really confident that this card is a constructed player and a good one at that. No, I, I think it's really, really good. I think that we're uh, you might be kind of forgetting the was it like the six or seven cards they previewed weeks ago, where a couple of those were very good with consider champion of the perished and like play with fire as three that were like, I think these are home runs for being, you know, constructed playable. Two of them possibly, maybe two of them possibly in like older formats as well. But I think Chamber of the Parish, Consider, and Play With Fire are all going to see a ton of play in standard with Consider and Play With Fire possibly making it into like modern and other, and other formats. So, but no, I, I really like the card you were just talking about in standard as being very, very, very good. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely there with you. Um, I'm looking forward to our next episode. I don't know when it's going to be with me. I think the next episode we're going to have is possibly next week with uh, a special guest because I'm going to be gone on the other side of the country for four or five days. And we want to make sure that we get some episodes out. I know that we've had some some problems that recently with us being really busy one week and then me getting hit with a gigantic hurricane and not having power for like five days. So sorry to everybody at home. <laughs> we're, we're not sorry. You got hit by a hurricane. Y'all understand. Yeah. Yeah, out of my hands, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, I've got this job out in Vegas that I'm doing, and uh, I'm I'm traveling on Thursday and Monday. So, like, you know, my week's going to get really thrown qu- quite a bit, you know, with all this stuff. So we'll see all that. Um, no guarantees, but I heard we're going to be getting possibly a guest host for one of these episodes, and it should be a lot of fun. I, I don't know if we should tell them the name. Should it be a surprise? Oh, it's going to be a surprise. We're not telling you anything. Okay, okay. We're not, we're not telling anybody, but... Uh, it's an oldie but a goodie, and uh, if, if it happens, I'm, I'm hoping it is so I have something to listen to uh, when, I'm, <laughs> when I'm traveling back. Hopefully, it gets done in time. Uh, that's that's a hint, hint, Brent. I try to have it, try to have it done for for next Monday if if they if they get it done in time, obviously. So um, make sure you check out for that. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about our. I forgot to at the beginning of the show talk about our sponsor, Barrister and Man. I was actually um, I'm switching over to a uh, a new scent here in a second. I'm, I'm like out of one of you know I finally finished one of my products and I'm really looking forward to it. And then I know I harp on this a lot, but I just can't get over it because I did it again yesterday where I shaved and I absolutely adore their shaving products. So make sure you check out their stuff. That's Barrister and Man with two ends, and you can use the code MTG Rants at checkout for fifteen percent off. Uh, let me check our Discord real quick to see if we had any. Um, we don't. Doesn't look like we have any mailbag, but we can do a couple overrated, underrated before we get out of here, Ross. How do you feel about that? Let's do it. All right, let me scroll up because we're uh, we got we got to catch back up with us missing a little bit. Um, Fuzzy Dan wants to say more tribal support for Ox, the creature type. I'm gonna go with overrated. I don't think we need to support every creature type ever, and uh, Ox is a pretty far left one as a person with many fond memories of oregon trail i'm gonna say underrated okay well then you'll like the next one i'm Hill says didgeridoo the magic card mm, underrated okay i'm gonna go with underrated uh candy bar hipster says mongolian throat singing i've never heard it but i can imagine it it's probably underrated yeah it is it's it is very trippy to hear for the first time but it's really honestly amazing because they're actually able to produce two different tones at the same time and harmonize with themselves uh like they're playing a chord on a guitar obviously you would be an expert at this time (laughs) i just knew it it, it's really it's actually it's really awesome and like incredibly difficult to do it's i'm I'm going to look some up it's it's one of those things where i'm just like baffled that someone figured out that they could 
Like how I mean, how is that something that you're just like you know what I'm just gonna I'm... dude think about the think about living in this planet before there was like the internet and like you and like what was we had was so it? much more like time 80, for activities it, and it was like eighty percent of people couldn't read or whatever right you know like think about all this like what are you doing with your free time they're toiling you know? in the fields Tannen. You know yeah, much? exactly. While while you're doing that, they sang. Yeah, like, I that's guess. A, that was a very common thing people didn't know about. It's like a lot of the times back in the days when people were working in fields or doing whatever, they would sing chants and hymns and stuff like that. That's a lot. That's where a lot of it came from. Yep. And stuff. So, all right. Uh, Cathal wants to know about what do you think about the Mongol Empire? Um, I know not much Sorry. about it. Yeah. Um, I have to imagine that um, the conventional historiography of it is um uh biased by eurocentrism so that would be my assumption um but it would be a weak assumption because i I haven't done really any investigation into it so i'm gonna say low confidence underrated i'm gonna go the exact same answer right gil says genghis khan uh for the same reason low confidence underrated yeah, same. Uh, Brent Wagner, our lovely editor, says, Owning stuff. This is a reference to Ross's rant about moving. Owning stuff is one of the most overrated things, period. Unless you're like... Here, I, have a, I have a rant about this. I'm not going to go super hard. But it's one of those things where like people say... It's like the things like, you know, people, people always say money can't buy happiness. That was said by a rich person. Or people say like, you know, beauty isn't important. Or like, you know, being attractive isn't important. It's always like one of the most beautiful people in the world saying that. You know, like, you know, oh, this isn't really that important. I'm like, yeah, it's easy for you to say that when you're literally on magazine covers and you get paid a bajillion dollars to look into a camera. Yeah, obviously it's more than that. I'm oversimplifying. I do think over, I think, I do think owning stuff is overrated in general because we spent a lot of money badly on possessions. I can't tell you how many things in my house, like, you know, going through my house, especially over the last week, you know, making sure everything was okay and like, you know, rearranging things to make it okay. How much stuff I was like, oh, I remember buying this. We've never used this in like the two years or this is still in the box or like, you know, things like that. Or like when over the last, what about six or seven years of my life, I've moved like five or six times. And I'm like, I just dread it every time. Cause I have so much stuff to move, but I, it's obviously like pretty overrated. But again, that's usually said by someone who doesn't have, I mean, who doesn't have a problem with, you know, paying for everything to be done for them because they're rich kind of thing. So I'm going to go with, properly rated because i see it on both ends but with a strong overtone of overrated just because we spend a lot and buy a lot of things we don't need yeah owning stuff up until the point that you can live comfortably is underrated because everyone should own enough stuff to where they live comfortably owning stuff beyond that is incredibly overrated because we are all inundated with propaganda to consume so that we can keep the gears of our fragile economy turning okay so the next one sorry i got distracted it's really funny and serendipitous brent just sent me a text message while we were answering his question and i'm telling him that i'm like this is the most <laughs> oddly timed texts ever uh lee mcleod one of my favorite commenters in here says cube drafting obviously this is super underrated because it's great um properly rated i think people understand that it's great uh yeah yeah sure sure that makes sense uh candy bar says silver boarded cards and cube drafts um i think they're overrated in general like some are cool and great and i think overall they're too funky and weird like especially the crazy ones you know what i'm talking about i think they're pretty bad overall but i will say this one of the coolest things i've ever seen in a cube draft happened with a silver boarded card someone did do you know the card booster tutor is ross yep 
So some we're in a, we're in a draft and we're like we're playing and someone cast booster tutor and needed a specific card for a situation. That pack was in stock in the LGS. They bought the pack, opened it, and hit the card. And everybody went nuts because obviously like we all stopped to look. Hold on. For, first, what rarity was the card? I think it was an uncommon. Okay. But impressive. I don't remember the exact card, by the way. Uh, so. do you remember do you remember the set? This was probably like at least eight years ago, so I don't remember the details. I just remember the situation, everybody going nuts. I remember where we were sitting in the LGS. You know what I mean? Like I could tell you the the table that they were at, but I can't tell you what the exact situation was hmm. for the cards. So I know that makes the the I know that makes it a little less cool, but yeah. Yeah, I wish you knew more about the story. It's kind of a letdown. I, I'm sorry, but okay. Anyway, so I'm assuming you <laughs> agree with me that that's overrated. that story is overrated. Your 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 face is overrated. Okay. Um. Anyway. I'm assuming that you're going to agree with him, and I'm going to let you answer. Yeoman5 says, uh, metagame analysis. I'm going to go with everybody else's uh, overrated, Yeoman5's metagame analysis, underrated. Metagame analysis and deck choice, I think, is one of the most important skills in yeah, of course, yeah. in Magic today. Because the the cards, at least when the when the format is, is well-balanced, and, and you know, obviously that's been hit or miss recently, but... You know, uh, and I'm I'm talking about standard in particular. I think you can get away more with just playing the same deck over and over again in in older formats. But now, like, there's just there's always tools that like, and they're bit they're built into the format, and people will find them, and y- your deck is going to get a lot worse. And um, you know that kind of stuff is good for keeping the metagame dynamic, but it also means that you have to you know keep staying ahead of the metagame and keep building uh, playing new decks. So, uh, yeah, definitely underrated. All right, uh, the next one from Catatonic Walrus. Walrus says, cubes made of entirely proxies. I think this is underrated. I've had a ton of fun with my, anytime I've interacted with a fully proxied cube. Though, the way in which you proxy and put them into the sleeve, it needs to feel like a card in the sleeve. You know, I don't want it to be too flimsy or yeah. too bulky or whatever. Just like, if it has the magic card feel, I'm fine with it. Uh, I, I think they're great. Yeah, very underrated. I've had a proxy cube, so... Yeah, we did the Space Cube once. It was a bunch of magic cards, but they were space themed and like renamed with a bunch of art and stuff. It was it was a powered cube or whatever, but it was just like like it's such a recall. I can't remember what it was. It had some space name, but it literally was just like you just saw space and it just says "Look at the stars" or whatever. It's like you know the <laughs> or whatever. It's just, it was just really really cool. Uh, Cathal says the process of getting a cube that's overrated because it's it, it screw all that. That's way too much work. Yeah, actually putting it together is literally the worst part. Yeah. Uh, Gold says themed cubes. Uh, I think overrated until the novelty wears off, and then properly rated. I I think they're underrated in general. Uh, ob- you know, I also really like the idea of you know set themed cubes. Uh, that kind of stuff is really is really what elevated it. You know, cube used to just be take a collection of Magic's most powerful cards and draft them and see what happens. And now now it's just become a way for people to flex their design muscles. And that's really cool because that's a fun part of the game and one that people have probably been doing for 20 years. And, uh, you know, Cube is really the ultimate expression of it because it, it is a functional set. So uh, I think that, you know, being able to create themes around it and, and do that kind of top-down design, which is central to what magic design has become, is really important. So certainly underrated because I think it's great. Makes sense. Uh, Imer Hill says gelatinous cubes. Uh, I'm going to hear your answer first. Um... I certainly overrated the card when it was previewed. I thought it was pretty good. So far, it's just done absolutely nothing. Maybe it does something after rotation, but I don't know. Overrated? 
I'm going to take this a different direction. Uh, the most overrated thing on the on the earth because I absolutely detest Jello. Oh my god, it's so bad. It's the worst. Do you know about me and Jello? Yeah, you literally can't swallow it. Yeah, so like for everybody at home who doesn't know about this, I, I'm like weird about textures. I can't eat or like don't like certain textures, but uh, especially gelatinous stuff like actual Jello. If I take a spoonful or a forkful of Jello and put it into my mouth, I physically cannot make myself swallow it. I will actually start retching. I will start to throw up, and. Like, I can't even take jello shots, Ross. <laughs> like, even if I know that, like, I just cannot make myself do it. And I don't know what it is. It has something to do with the texture or whatever. Like, I don't like slimy or gelatinous type foods. Just yeah. never have. No okra and for you. I, I I like fried okra. Okay, yeah. But, I mean, I'm, I'm Louisiana. I like fr- fried everything yeah, <laughs> or whatever. You're, but... you're a human being. <laughs> yeah, true. So, uh, but I think we're going to go ahead and stop it right there on me just yelling about how bad jello is. Yeah, but jello it's, it's absolutely sucks. awful. It's so bad. This is an anti-Jello <laughs> podcast, and we make no excuses for it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love it. At least we can see eye to eye on exactly that. Thing, <laughs> Ross, if people wanted to hear more about your Jello hate, where would they go? Uh, best place is Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunnids. Uh, you know, you'll get updated about magic content, and it's a good place to ask me questions as well, like other things I hate, uh, because there's definitely things I hate more than Jello. Um then there is uh, my written content on Star City Games, which unfortunately contains very little Jello hatred, but we can fix that. Uh, next week's article is going to be all about why Jello sucks. <laughs> you know, everyone I mean, else is writing about I mean, preview cards. I'm going to write about Jello. Can I ghostwrite part of it? Mm, oh yeah. All right, it's so just making my job easier. I'm not going to give you any money. It, I wasn't even going to ask. Nice. I'm do it pro bono, but exactly. the, the 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 awfulness. Uh, rhetoric of Jello or Jello rhetoric needs to be spread. Yeah. So, so uh, my uh, columns go up every uh, Tuesday um, at 11 a.m. If there's any deviation from that, I'll you know let y'all know on Twitter. Uh, this past week's column was all about it was the cards that I want to see in reprinted from previous Innistrads in in these Innistrad sets. Um, so uh, a nice healthy dose of nostalgia, but also goes into Different metagame reasons why I think that uh, they'd be good choices. Uh, then there is my uh, there's Versus Live, the web show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister. Uh, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern on the Star City Games Twitch channel. We play whatever formats are most relevant for competitive magic. With preview season underway, we're going to be playing a lot of Innistrad Midnight Hunt Standard, post-rotation standard, with all these cool new Innistrad cards. We're going to be playing it for at least the next two weeks until the set is fully released. So you're going to want to tune in because we're playing with the cards you know, before anyone else can. Uh, we're getting a head start, find, seeing them in action, uh, putting them into decks. Uh, I'm sure at some point we will do a, a show with a viewer-submitted deck. So if you follow uh, Corey and me on Twitter... Uh, we'll put out a blast uh, for when we want that, and you you, know, you can get your deck featured on Versus, see it in action. We'll give you uh, you know our thoughts on it, uh, so it's really cool. And we also do take questions live from the audience, so I encourage you to tune in and watch it live if you can. Uh, that said, if you are unable to because you're you know working or busy during that time, you can watch the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Those go up the next day at 5 p.m., so it'll be Wednesday and Friday instead of Tuesday and Thursday. Last is my personal stream, which has been inactive for a while now, but I, I said I, I was hoping for August. That didn't quite happen. I'm close to getting through with everything I need to get through before I can start setting that up. Um, so I'm hoping by the end of September. I, 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 I promise you it's coming back soon. <laughs> but if you want to throw me a follow when, before that happens. When will Vin be now? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Ross, I just want to know that. Soon. Always soon. soon. Okay, there we go. But if, okay, uh, sure. if you want to throw me a follow on Twitch before that happens so you get notifications when I come back, I would appreciate it. And I am uh, Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Tannen, if people want to hear your more intense hatred of Jello and more things that you intensely hate, where might they go? Oh, I fucking hate it, Ross. I hate it as much as I hate bunting. I, I can't even. <laughs> I, I can't even. I just trying to convey to people that might not understand the level of hate. All right, anyway, the, the, the heat of a thousand suns to get really <laughs> to get really uh, Shakespearean on it. So, all right, uh, you can find me on Twitch under Tannen Grace. Uh, if Innistrad keeps looking this good, I'll be drafting quite a bit online. We'll see if that's Arena or Magical Online. I'm not sure which one. I've been really close to just giving up on Arena because of how bad the this, the whole system and stuff of it is. So we'll see. Even though I'm like practically infinite on there, humble brag. And then uh, if you wanted to find me on on Twitter, it's under the Tannen Grace. Uh, a lot of stuff getting tweeted on there recently about you know Magic, sports. And a, these a little bit of flesh and blood. I'm not giving up on magic. I'm not moving just to flesh and blood or anything like that. But just it's something that I'm doing on the side. You know, I've got the the job doing the casting of it at this event. And we'll see where we go from there. Uh, sorry, I'm just knocked my. I heard. I think I might have heard that stress in my voice. I'm just knocked my drink into my lap. Um, because I'm talking with my hands like I normally do here. But it's just something you know I've had to really focus on for the last couple of weeks, and I'm looking forward to it. So I definitely recommend. Uh, you know, if you're interested, if you're curious at all, tune in. It's going to be uh, the, let me get the exact date here, if I remember right. So it's going to be the 11th and 12th of September. It'll be on the channel Fireball channel um, on Twitch, as far as I know. I'm pretty sure that's where it's going to be. Um, in fact, I, I, yeah, that's that's where it's going to be. So check it out. See if you like the game. Um, it's a little different than Magic, but there's definitely some correlations. And we'll try to, it's going to be one of my jobs to try to explain it as well as I possibly can to the new people that are watching it. Because this is going to be the first, like, really big broadcast, especially in America of this game and uh, I'm really looking forward to it and I'm very humbled that they chose me to be one of the people to do this for the first event so I'm really looking forward to it so make sure you check that out and uh, let me know how good or bad I am at it because uh, I'm a little rusty and uh, at doing at doing commentary and then you know it's a brand new game so maybe it'll make me bring my A game a little bit more you know maybe it'll make me have to you know try a little harder we'll see that's one possible outcome yeah, sure. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for the road of vote of confidence. Love you, buddy. <laughs> All right. So, uh, but thanks for listening to this week's episode. Next week, I think we should have, uh, well, by the time I'm on the next episode of this, we should have the full spoiler up or the set might even be out. I don't remember the exact date of that is, but we'll definitely probably be bringing our top eight episode to you. Uh, but before that, there should be, if we can make everything work out, a special episode of MCU Rants with a special guest host that we're not going to run it for you guys. It's going to be a surprise. So make sure you be on the look for that. But for Ross and for myself, thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next time.